just ask a question about the last session? Yeah. Um, because it started out with the whole investigation of the mess boy, Adam Henning. Mm -hmm. And there was this, in the end, the guy was caught, he was locked up. We tried to interrogate him, but didn't really have much luck with it. In the end, I've had the impression that the captain, which would be Starkweather, he didn't... Uh, um, the captain is Redenberg of the oh, ship. The whatever, the expedition Leader. lead? Yeah. Starkweather. He didn't really seem very keen on having no. any sort of a conclusion to that whole story. He didn't no. seem really interested in solving. He just wanted to get the guy off the deck and, and carry yeah. on. Mm. He didn't even want us to allow some sort of hypnosis. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't allow hypnosis. <laughs> so, but we did learn something useful, which is next time we keep some keep it from the captain. <laughs> and, and we let him tie up the engines flying around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, so I again, mean, yeah. So what I'm asking, I guess, is just: Do we have any other like open leads as to stack what uh, weather's real motivations it seems totally bizarre that there's this this uh, horrible accident being caused deliberately on board and he's not really doing his hardest to investigate what the cause of it is like what, what are the real motivations behind yeah. it so a couple of things uh, first of all uh, it was Redenberg who kept you from uh, uh, interrogating him okay because he's the it's his ship and he um, you know uh, so he's the one to tie the engine. Keeps that stuff under control, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, Starkweather uh, like blames Lexington for all these mishaps. So essentially every time anything like this has happened, he's blamed uh, her for, um, for this stuff. Okay. But I agree completely, Jens. It's really bizarre. What part of it? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Starkweather thinks it's all Lexington who's, who's behind it and that's it. And now we got rid of the guy, carry on. Yeah, I mean, to him it's pretty obvious. Um, you know, ever since New York, uh, when she announced, you know, her expedition, you've been beset with trouble. Um, the, the previous captain, you know, was found dead. Um, packages were stolen, the fire on the pier. Uh, and now the sabotage on board, it's, it's pretty obvious what, um, you know, who's behind. And then, uh, you know, you have those, uh, uh, that background as well. I don't know if you remember <clears throat> the background on Lexington and Starkweather. Yeah, so, but it seems like he's preoccupied or, or he's fixated with his, his competition with her, his feud with her, right? Because uh, there seems to be all the evidence that we found so far, it has, doesn't point to her, it points to this this crazy dude who has an agenda that doesn't want the expedition to go that you know is tied to the previous expedition well I'm trying to trying to only say things that are very neutral uh -huh. <laughs> yeah so what do you know about Lexington that uh, sways you one way or the other he's hot <laughs> yep that's, that's what I know that's it. Stuck there. <laughs> I, but I, I, we did a little bit of research, right? And lives in a mansion, so she's clearly evil. Past, there, there wasn't anything that she, we didn't ever pay anything really shady, did we? I mean, it's 
no, there's the whole connection between like her name is Acacia. Acacia was something Lexington. with her father. Yeah, her father apparently committed suicide, but she believes that it wasn't suicide. So, no, it, was it wasn't murder. Yeah. And the the suicide murder is linked to the disappearance of a rare study, which is the first manuscript of the Edgar Allan Poe book, the narrative of author Gordon yeah. Pym that we have. And yeah, that's it. But I don't remember there's any specific link between Lexington and Starkweather. But now that you kind of hinted that there was, I'm starting to well, think. Other than the competition to go to the south of uh, South Yeah, Pole. but didn't, didn't they have some kind of history? No, they did. What about, it was also something about the manuscript was sent and, and then uh, to more, but it was intercepted or something. Yeah. Uh, was... yeah we, we never found it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Somebody had picked it up. It was actually sent to the hotel, but then somebody somehow went to the hotel and said there were more and picked it up, something like that. Mm -hmm. And we spoke to, oh, the, to... Yeah. Shoot, David. Okay, so but from our research, we, we, are, we arrived at, I think, the, the likely conclusion that it's the, it was the Poe manuscript, but it was a, a version of it that was, it was like his last um, chapter or something, right, that wasn't widely yeah, wasn't exactly. published. That's it. Uh, oh, there was, was another. That the, was that the stolen one from the? Was that the stolen book from the the suicide murder? Yes. Uh, okay, and uh, Belcour, you—that's Tom's character, right? Mm -hmm. Went to see Lexington, um, and there was that whole thing with the oldest map of the world that had been found in Istanbul, and it includes mysteriously the Antarctic, which would have been impossible for a map maker to know at the time. Oh, wow. So she, all, all, uh, she obviously has, her or her father has had some fascination with, uh, with the South Pole. Yeah. And there seems to be some sort of mysterious link. She has a map that's not supposed to have the Antarctic on it. She's, you know, then there's this book, uh, the whole thing seems to be related to this book by Edgar Allan Poe, which takes place at the South Pole. <clears throat> so she has some sort of deeper obsession. Yeah, but it, it's, it's my impression that uh, in terms of um, uh, that the, the competition between the two expeditions, I mean, it, to me it seems more like a competition in terms of yeah. getting there and, and, and not directly sabotage, because it, it appears that the other expedition has also suffered um, setbacks during their trip for, for example, we learned in Melbourne that um, that uh, that they also had some uh, experiences. Uh, they lost one guy that fell overboard apparently in, in their ship and, and things of that nature. So yeah. whoever is sabotaging our uh, attempt to get there is also sabotaging the other ex expedition. At least that's how I view it. Yeah, that's possible. Um, yeah, but the game master now was hinting that uh, there had been a previous relationship between Starkweather and Lexington, and I, although I don't have anything in my... I think there was something in some newspaper articles about that. Yeah, ex yeah that's exactly what I'm looking for now, because that, that does like, uh, 
ring a bell. I just don't remember exactly what it is. And what's what is what do you think Starkweather's motivation is? Do you think he has any hidden motivations, or do you think he's just a glory hound? Hmm. Yeah, that's that I don't know. Because because everything yeah we're with the other expedition. It sounds like um, Lexington sounds like it's maybe deeper, right? So. Because there's all that history with her father and everything. <clears throat> there is this, uh, if you go to the October 20th, 1920 uh, article, there's some stuff about the past between Lexington and Starkweather. Yeah, can you re read it out loud? Uh, it's a big, long article. Um, it's it uh, in... Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're from their travels in Africa. Um, but up, but up. Mm. They traveled in Africa together. I guess. But you have you have it. There's the Lexington history. It's in the clippings uh, news, under newspaper clippings. Lexington history. There's a bunch of articles about it. Cool. Uh, which date was it again, Tom? Um, there is October twentieth. Uh, there's uh, nineteen twenty. That's the first article. Um, doesn't okay. really have any. Doesn't really have a lot of juice on it, but uh, it's just saying you know they had a trip together and Captain Starkweather saved the day, sort of thing. Yeah. And then uh, the next thing is the the next thing is the suicide. Was it a suicide? We don't know. Uh, okay, so they've known each other from Africa. That is. Yeah, but uh, as far as I could tell, they stopped. I can't really find anything that tears them apart. Uh, Well, I mean, he seems fixated with her, right? But there are other expeditions going. Yeah. They're probably former lovers. I mean, why would yeah. you suspect one of sabotage if, you know, the others have would have the same motivation, I guess? Uh, yeah. I have nothing to add. I want to see penguins. Go. Yeah. Penguins up here. It just means that we obviously don't know the full story. We don't know who we can trust. Trust uh, no one. <laughs> okay, so, so I suppose the conclusion is they have some kind of history, but there's nothing that we know too many details about. Uh, they're both heading for the South Pole. Lexington seems to have very personal motivations, although we don't really know what they are. But they are kind of mysterious. They're related to her father's death. Uh, Starkweather is totally paranoid. He thinks that Lexington is doing everything to stop him. Why would he think that? And why would Lexington maybe want to stop him? So we don't really know that. Uh, unless they're looking for the same thing. And they both know it. They're heading for the same place. They're looking for the same thing. Then they would be interested in stopping each other. 
and that could yeah. be different than the German expedition, which is just heading to the South Pole. So it's not it's not important. Um, I don't I don't know if there's anything suspicious about the captain Redenberg. Maybe yeah. maybe it's more weird that he. Well, he could be placed as well since we had our first captain assassinated, right? So that could be a ploy to replace a top crew member oh. on our ship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that's just speculation, of course. But uh, oh yeah, because it's captain... not a not a random event. <laughs> so there's a reason why we have this captain now. That's right. He, the other captain was killed. Yeah, that's an inch, that's a detail. I kind of yeah. forgot. <laughs> Tiny little detail. Tiny yeah. little detail. That's true. That's true. So everything yeah, okay. is, is mysterious, and the prime suspect. Yep, I think that's a good. Everyone. Point. <laughs> I say we throw everybody overboard and turn the ship around, <laughs> and then we take stop back in Australia and get drunk till we can't remember anything. That's my... <laughs> uh, I'm, so, I'm going to have to just give me just five minutes to prepare. I don't know what. <laughs> uh, with with that mess with the rest of the adventure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's exactly what I have here. That's it. Forget it, Michael. We're heading to Orient. <laughs> We're going to get on a train. Go buy the Orient yeah. Express module. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I smoke fucking opium all day. westward progress is stopped by ice. To the south and west in all directions, the sheets and humps of the pack extend as far as the eye can see. The sea is flat, the sky cloudy, and the air clear but cold. Even the usual swell of the sea is dampened by the presence of ice on all sides. After so many days at sea, the unmoving deck feels strange underfoot. Gabrielle sails east again, searching for clearer water, pushing slowly through a thin crust of a sea, uh, a sea ice that cracks and splinters beneath the bow. The Gabrielle skirts the edge of the pack for more than two days without finding a way south. Just after three o'clock in the morning on November 3rd, however, a lookout spots uh, a broad open lead of clear water arrowing to the southeast through thicker flows. Encouraged, Starkweather orders the captain to press on. By noon, the ship is pushed 20 miles into the pack. Walls and cornices of ice rise to port and starboard, and the chunks and panes of sea ice atop the lead tinkle musically as the ship pushes through. The ice rises and falls on either side, slowly rubbing and crumbling in blocks as big as a man, now and again splitting apart with a sharp gun-short rapport. <laughs> That's a baby on board. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is the, is the German doctor crying again? Yeah. <laughs> the barometer. Learning the horrors of Call of Cthulhu. Turn back. The barometer begins to lower once more towards sunset, but the ship pushes on. That night, another storm hits. This one is fully pow as powerful as the one a week before. Winds up to 70 miles per hour, blown ice and hail, heavy seas, 
And this time, however, an added danger exists. Uh, seasickness rolls. Yeah. Oh. Why you? Why you? Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so for... Cat, no, cat, get out of the way. Uh, so you um, you roll a die. You add a number of points from your uh, pool. It's a die, die six? Yeah. And you have to hit a, a target number that I'm not telling you. But you may remember from last time. Acrobatics is what we would use, right? We no, have... health. It's health. Oh, health. Yeah, I'm going to roll four. Seasick. You're just rolling <laughs> straight? Yeah. You're rolling it straight, huh? Okay. Uh, um, I, I, I think I've I've got... up everything already. I don't give a shit anymore. I'm going to roll straight away. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. oh, I'm gonna add one, Let's see what happens. I'm gonna add two. There's my great success. Everybody pukes on everyone. <laughs> okay. oh, that didn't help, did it? Alright. Everybody's um, seasick. Everybody's seasick. <laughs> Again. Nice. All right. Uh, they should have hired sailors for this job. Yeah, no, should. I shouldn't have eaten all that. I'm just kangaroo. thinking out of the box here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all of your uh, investigative difficulties go up by one uh, until until this clears. Uh, around the ship, the ice moans and shatters from the force of the sea. Huge bergs roll and grind against the Gabriella. She tries to turn to clearer water, but there's nowhere to go. Again and again, the ship clangs and heals as spines and shoulders of hard ice grind against the hull. Armored plates groan and yield but do not break. Crewmen and passengers huddle in the mess praying while others toil or simply hide. There is little else to do but wait. The ship survives, miraculously it seems. The deck is awash with ice and great seams and gouges can be seen over the rail. But the storm passes with the night as swiftly as it came, leaving behind a new world. To all sides, the solid walls of the pack are broken. Narrow cracks and threads of open water show at every hand. The Gabrielle turns south again, pushing gently into the pack, forcing her own way carefully forward beneath the smoking blue sky. All hands are required on deck to help push the smaller birds away with long poles, or repair the damage left by the squall. Forcing the pack is a dangerous undertaking. The ship's engines roar and rumble as she inches up to a flow, nestling softly alongside, then churning the sea behind with all the power she can bear. Usually the ice yields. Again and again she presses forward in this way, the heavy crashing thrum resounding through the hull. The pack ice on all sides is very thick and very old. Weird hummocks and spires rise up at odd angles. Layers of dark and light ice like striations and ancient stone can be seen at every hand. All around are the colors of the sea. White, green, and every shade of blue, shifting from instant to instant and sparkling like cast diamonds and stray ray of sunshine. Throughout November 4th and 5th, the ship pushes onward through the pack. On the morning of the 5th, the radio reports the Lexington's Tallahassee is trapped deep within the ice, not more than 300 miles to the east. There's no way that Gabrielle could help the other ship, but from the satisfied look on Starkweather's face when he hears the news, it's just as well. <laughs> on November 6th, the wind dies out and a thin mist descends upon the sea. Ghostly, vaporous fingers rise from the water and curl around the ice. The colors of the sea and sky blend and twist eerily off the pack. Distant objects blur and reappear like illusions. 
Uh, one minute the lookouts can see the horizon, the next, the nearest birds are all that can be made out through the haze. About nine o'clock that morning, a cry is heard from the lookout as a darkened mass on the far side of an iceberg comes into view. As the Gabrielle gets closer, the bow of a trapped whaler can be seen protruding from the ice, half frozen and adrift. First Officer Turlow surveys the wreck through binoculars. It's the Rollaroo, he says, uneasily. She disappeared last autumn during a squall. No one has found a trace of her until now. Oh. Isn't that where we finished off on the last That's session? where we finished off. I just took yeah. a recap so you had context. Ah, okay. Sorry. Um, I just, but the dates are a little bit off. What, what is my notes? That happened on the 30th of October. Your notes are wrong. Or at least we're in a time vortex. Or you're in a time vortex. The date okay, change, okay. you know, that's the date change, it screwed you up. <laughs> yeah. So, this is on the 6th, is that it? Yeah, November 6th. Ah, okay. Um, what was the name of the ship again? The Wallaroo. Which means it's Australian registration? Yeah. Could there be survivors? Could they last this long? It was lost how long ago? A year? But is it adrift or is it stuck in the ice? It's stuck in the ice. It's frozen in an iceberg. Uh, um, nope. After some uh, discussion between Stark Mother Moore and the captain, the Gabrielle pushes closer. Um, and uh, it's arranged for uh, a small boat to, to be lowered and, and to go over and take a look. Uh, you being the main characters, I assume you want to tag along. Yeah, it's, it's a big ship. It could, it could it's intact fairly. It could be people there, survivors maybe. So, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my pistol with me, secret it away because it, I still don't trust that we've done away with all of the saboteurs. This might be an opportunity for one of them to strike. All right. Just, just a note in terms of like survival chances, depending how prepared they are. There was one expedition by Royal Amundsen where they crossed the North Pole, and the way that they uh -huh. did it was that they froze themselves into the pack ice and they drifted with the pack ice, and that was two years. Wow. Two wow. years. Okay. They just set but up yeah, they, and waited. Yeah, because this thing it would it provides shelter. It's all intact and, yeah. and shelter from the elements and everything. So yeah, as long as they had a way to stay warm. That shit yeah, doesn't look super intact though. Uh, in terms of uh, just a quick question, in terms of the SS Gabriel, is that anywhere built like an ice uh, breaker or what you call it? Uh, are there any specifics in the ships, uh, or is it just basically a big ship but with no ice breaking capability? So here, let me go to chapter four. It's a whaler, right? So it's got a huge hull that to store the, all the whale meat that they capture. Well, so. The if, the, it, if it was full of whale meat, they'd have food. The Wallaroo is a whaler. The, are you talking about the Gabrielle or the Wallaroo? No, no, I'm talking about the, our own ship, the Gabrielle. Oh. How, uh, how much uh, icebreaking capability it has. It's just a point of interest, which may be derailing a little bit, I know. but It has a hull of Swedish wrought iron, an inch and a quarter thick. Uh, she's not an icebreaker, though. Uh, that's about what it says about that. Ah, so, okay, that's, that's fine. Yeah. So it, it'll, it'll do Arctic waters, but it won't. It's not an icebreaker. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, so I assume you all uh, gear up and, and whatnot. Does anybody else uh, bring anything? 
we need to uh, bring some survival gear, right? Or some uh, first aid stuff if there's people that need help. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll bring some rope, a knife. If it's icy over there, I guess I'll bring some sort of shoes that have spikes or ice boots. Definitely some or... rope. Yeah, definitely rope. Some flashlights. Oh yeah, flashlights. All right. You you pack all this on board the the longboat. Okay. Let's do it. All right, let's go. Ali, it's Even just getting up the side of it's gonna be difficult, right? I mean, we have to scale it with some kind of like is there do we have like a hook and rope like a grappling yeah. hook type of thing that uh, well yeah, I mean you have you can have ice uh, axes and stuff like that uh, and then you have okay. rope of course um, alright you um, you climb into the boat the boat is lowered into the into the waters and um, let's see who do we have with us uh, it's just you four actually <laughs> uh, no one else well, you can bring somebody else if you want to. Uh, somebody to help us sail the boat and stuff like that. None of you have... Uh, boating? Uh, no. Boating? <laughs> <Yeah>. Pilot? <laughs> Actually, pilot uh, double says boating, which is uh, a little odd. Uh, pilot, pilot, pilot. Okay. Uh, yeah. David has I have a pilot. <laughs> I have a big fat zero on that one. Um, well, more can, more can come with you. Okay. I'm sure he's That's interested. I mean, it must be in their own, in their interest as well to investigate what happened. Yeah, maybe we can loot for some stuff as well while we at it. <laughs> I don't know. Do, uh, do we want to endanger the brains of the expedition? I don't know. That's like Captain Kirk going on the the way team. <laughs> I mean, if, we, we need a red shirt. We don't come on. We, <laughs> what about some of these guys that uh, taught us these courses? Yeah, uh, exactly. For example, for example, this Mr. Green guy that taught us an, Antarctic uh, first aid or yeah, Alpha bills and Arctic weather, and these guys, that must be uh, kind let's of simple. Let's take some redundant uh, yeah, some crew shirts. members. <laughs> okay, uh, Dr. Green and Moore uh, come with you. Okay. <laughs> cool, they, they pull the boat up again, put them in. Put them in. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. It was like, uh, not until we were down in the water, like, what? We're going alone? Wait, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. All right, um, so as you approach uh, the the boat uh, you you row over it's it's a short way. You can see that the hull is split in half at the midpoint, and that ice completely encompasses the fore section. While um, <clears throat> in the aft, there's like this distinctive uh, twisted metal uh, from a boiler explosion that scars the hull. Uh, and you can hear this eerily distorted whistling wind that careens through the the ice and the metal as you approach. So, but does that mean it'll be easy for us to get in through that hole? Yeah, it should be relatively easy actually. You just need to tether the longboat uh, and then climb up. But highly, the aft of the ship uh, is that in totally uh, encapsulated in ice, or would it be possible to in the ship go into the? Can we see any structure of the aft of the ship within the iceberg? Uh, not from where you are. Because you're still on the on the boat. So, but it's it's clearly not seaworthy then, right? Because it's got a giant hole ruptured in the side of it. Yeah. Yeah, she's not going to be sailing again. Um, you you pull up alongside it. Uh, I'm going to need somebody to give me an athletics or a pilot. Here we go. To tether the longboat. I I can do the piloting. Uh, athletics, that sounds like a task for the city, yeah? Okay, Strong right. of heart and body. 
but it's one or the other, right? Yeah, one or the other, okay. too long. I can, I, I can do piloting, I've got enough points. William is on it. Excellent. Nice. Um, you you managed to to uh, get the rope around the like a part of the the structure from the ship and, and tether the longboat so that it it heaves to uh, pretty pretty well um, in your first go even. Uh, and now I'm going to need athletics from everybody who's exiting the boat. Okay. Um. Six. Nice. All right. David, did you roll? Is that your four? I did. I got yeah. four. Great. Got Everybody. Perfect. Um, you uh, you all managed to, to get out of the boat and you you get onto the to the deck of the ship. It's 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 kind of lying like this. It's a little slanted, um, and it's it's covered in ice and, and quite slippery. Um, How about we stick together, guys, and just uh, have a look around? And the first people up can use rope to help the rest, so... so. Uh, so uh, somebody stay with the boat, and the rest... Uh... Yeah, let, let's make sure that that boat is properly tied up. Our, our red shirt will uh, well, stay with the boat. Well, I mean, the weather's, weather's okay, right? And then our, our main ship is in view, so... What could, what could possibly I don't think we need to stay with the boat. Because <laughs> worst case, worst case, rescue is right there, and we can easily signal them. Or they were just waiting for us to leave before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of whale meat here. We should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and human bodies. <laughs> yeah. Who here has seen a human dead human body? Oh, uh, uh, in the museum, I've seen a lot. Well, I've you've been in. Lot. You were in the war. Yeah, Are we talking in game? In game. Bilko, you were in the war, so you're. You're fine. Who else? Anybody I was else? in the war. I've probably seen some on expeditions. Uh, I have probably not seen so many dead bodies. All right. Um, so, David and uh, Christian, you two give me a stability. Actually, and you, Jens, give a stability, but you have diff different difficulty levels. Um, as you come on to the, to the, to the, um, to the boat, you see, kind of spread out across the, the, the deck of the boat, um, some lined up and some not. Uh, you see these kind of misshapen parts of skeletons, uh, flesh stripped bare, frozen bodily fluids encrusted within the wood. Um, give me your stability rolls. Stability is just a d6, uh, high then? Yeah, yeah, and you can spend in the same way as you can with everything else, but um, okay. obviously, there's, so if you miss the roll, there's going to be a cost. I'm not telling you what that is, but uh, you should factor in what you think it might be, and then not use more points than that, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Okay, I'll add two to my more. stability. Tom, you you're not supposed to roll. Can we at least know, like, what's the range? Like, if you for for seeing a non-supernatural yeah. kind of like just a body. Sure, I'll give you some examples. Because you just want you don't want to spend two if nope. it's normally just like one point loss for a dead so, body. So in this case, for instance, uh, you see a fresh corpse, or you witness a killing, it's one. Uh, I'm just going to skip down some of these so you get some, some ideas. Um, 
You witness acts of torture, that's two. Uh, you kill someone in a fight, that's three. Um, you spend a week in solitary confinement, that's four. Um, you kill someone in cold blood or you torture somebody, five. Um, the biggest one is you kill a friend, loved one, or a source of stability, that's eight. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Okay, so basically it's silly to spend points on... On this one, yes. Yeah. Don't spend points. Okay. Just just roll it. And, and that's just a d6, basically, again. Yeah. Yeah. Six. Right. Jens, did you roll? Yeah. Oh. Okay, great. So you're standing, you're standing on the midsection, and um, very little remains of the central portion of the ship. Uh, you can see an explosion of the, the boilers have buckled the hull and blown away most of the deck. Um, the corroded, ice-shrouded remains of the engine's hulk below, open to the sky, and the uh, few human remains in that area are mostly bits of charred and blackened bone. And uh, as you can see on the on the map here, there's a there's like a structure, and then you have these like there's a hold, and there looks like there's a, a door at the at the end of the ship as well. Yeah. So I'm but just thinking. So if, if anyone did survive this thing, it could be like totally insane. So you know, it doesn't mean that they're gonna be happy to see us. <laughs> I'm I'm holding on to the the ice axe as we proceed. Um, uh, Michael. What What's the thing about that the bodies, they were lined up? To the, to the left on the map, that's where you have the boiler explosion. That's where you have these charred right. bits of, of remains. And then on the other end of the ship, you have, you see uh, skeletons that are lined up. So they're like, they look like they, they died and, and they put them there, you know? Right. Um, okay, but are they intact bodies or are they? Uh, Why the skeletal, yeah. yeah. They're they're yeah. In, yeah they're intact uh, for the most part. Um, one of them is probably missing an arm, stuff like that. But um, frozen, but freezer. But why the skeletal, Michael? If at, the t at these temperatures, they should be preserved. If they died of, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. Skeletal mm -hmm. is a bit weird. Maybe they've been <laughs> picked pick clean by. Um, Flesh oh, or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> penguins, evil penguins, ate their skin. Or maybe the, 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 the surviving the surviving crew might have eaten the. Yeah, food. yeah. that's a possibility. Animals. And the fact that, uh, or actually the fact that they're laid out in, a, in an orderly fashion means that the crisis had been had averted, right? And obviously, then time was taken afterwards by survivors to. To sort through them all, so it wasn't just like at, at the ex point of the explosion. You know, that's where yeah everybody perished. No, so there was the explosion that was horrible. Then they got stuck. Then the some survived. But how did they sink? I mean, this thing exploded. Maybe they were already stuck on the ice and then it exploded. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, could have an explosion without sinking. Can we see any marks in the ice uh, of the explosion? From the explosion? Uh, no. To, to validate uh, the theory of... Uh... No, but it's hard to say. I mean, it, it might be that the ice has been layered on since then. It's been years. Okay. In any case, the situation turned FUBA, and then there was still a period of survival, and then everybody died. Yeah. 
then they maybe turned to cannibalism or not, and then everybody died. Now we got to check out the ship. Yeah, yeah. we probably should just move forward. They're, they're quite possibly haunted ship. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think uh, the German doctor will be able to inform us on that. Yeah. <laughs> you did bring your pendulum, didn't you? But of course. <laughs> Do not leave your favorite home without it. Like it's the only thing you brought. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, where where do you where do you go? I think down to this uh, door. Door to the to the side in the aft section. Yeah. Uh, okay. The, the aft section is the one that's deep in the ice, right? Here. Yeah, but there was a door. No. Yeah, so it's a little confusing actually because the text says it's the fore section that's caught in the ice, but that's not true on the drawing. It's the uh, it's the aft section that's caught in the ice. Um, so that's a little stupid. Hold on, let me just get the pin that I can. Yeah. Then. All right. You see the pin? Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. Uh, that's where we are. Yes. Okay. okay. So we have to keep moving aft. All right. Uh, well, I think it's four. Whatever. The end of the ship. Four is the front. So we're in the front of the ship right now? Yeah. Okay. You, um, you push, uh, the, there's like a, a bulkhead door. It's, it's open. You can push it a little bit to, to get in. Uh, and you get into this, um, somewhat dark room, um, filled with snow and ice. There's some boxes and some barrels of supplies here, um, and uh, there's a heavy locked uh, strong box that's bolted uh, to the bulkhead. And it's locked still? Yeah. Do the supplies look like they've been opened, or they look like they just like are completely sealed and intact from the way they'd be shipped? Uh, they look uh, mostly sealed. Some of it's been opened and, and you know, like a box of cans have been opened and some cans have been removed, but um, um, all the supplies uh, on closer inspection have been spoiled. Huh. So that's strange, because if it's been this, this long, you'd expect to see a lot more signs of people who have been needing them to survive and use. Yeah. I, guess, I guess let's just keep exploring. We can come back to it later. It's, uh, See if we can continue to find anybody. Yeah, let's do a quick inspection of the whole ship. Ooh. It might be a little unclear, but the little round holes on the fore of the of the deck are manholes, like on the uh, on the Gabrielle that you can enter into the the uh, the cargo bays with. Okay. Um, is would this be a good time to do an evidence collection? Uh, yes, you don't find anything beyond what you. Uh, what you already heard about. But yes, it would be a good time. Well, let's go deeper. <laughs> All right, where do, you, where do you go? So where we are now, is that just closed off? Or can we actually yeah, expect all the ship from there? It's just a room. Um, ah, okay. Well, then we go down the manholes. Okay. Follow me, lads. Going down the holes. So um, the... The holes next to the small square are, um, that's what we call cargo hold two, and uh, the ones next to the large one is cargo hold one. Which one do you, do you enter? All right. Um, this also used to be a supply uh, bay, and um, most of it's either gone or spoiled. 
Uh, all the remains are half dozen, haphazardly scattered cases of canned goods. Uh, and the labels have loosened over time and are now scattered around the cases like dried leaves, leaving just these blank cans. That's all. Okay. So are there any, label, any, any labels on the cans? No, they've all fallen off. Do you think it's all spoiled? Even cam gets to be spoiled? Uh, it's hard to say whether they're spoiled without opening it. If you're so interested. Um, okay, well, if there's nothing else to, to uh, investigate here, let's get out and go into Cargo Hold 1. All right. You heard me. <laughs> oh. All right, you um, you get out and you uh, uh, open the the manhole cover to, to the other cloud uh, the other cargo bay. This is obviously the main cargo hold, and this is where the slaughtered whales were kept before being rendered into fat. There's a faint foul smell uh, coming from the room that reminiscent of dead flesh. Inside the hole is more than uh, it's half filled with the remains of several whales. Uh, there's meat, barrels of fat, and blubber, bone, and other bits uh, with commercial value stacked and piled neatly below. Um, everything is frozen solid, but the closed hatch has kept out much of the ice that covers everything above. So instead, there's like this heavy dusting of crystals um, that sparkles in the dim light from the manhole cover, giving uh, the cargo this velvety, strange glow. Are there still whales, whale meat down here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would it be spoiled? More or less. Oh, well, it's frozen. It's probably frozen, spoiled. Yeah, me. Uh, any survivors? Why aren't they starting? Uh, if we're talking about the cannibalism fear, why won't they start eating? I guess the cannibals only ate human meat. Picky. It's like vegan. Yeah, I think, yeah you think yeah. the signs of. You think they'd start with the whale meat if they were surviving? Yeah. There are people here. So. And then move on to human meat, right? Yeah. That would be the logical order. <laughs> that's, that's like standard. standard maybe they're just maybe they're just really survivor. tired of maybe they're just really tired of whale meat. Maybe they hate it. That you can, once you've eaten eaten like half a whale, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> you're so done. They're just dying for. And then there's those delicious sailors. Who <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't? Still not warm. <laughs> okay. Uh, highly, um, from on top of the deck, uh, in terms of the, the the cabin where you control the ship, what the hell is that? Uh, the bridge. Yeah, the, the bridge. bridge. The bridge. Yeah. Uh, is it possible to gain entry into the bridge to uh, maybe s collect some? Um, uh, to see how the instrumentation was when accidents happened, or mm. some charts, or whatever, or, yeah, or log the ship's of the log. ship's log. Find yeah. the black box. Yeah. yeah. Let's look for the black box. Yeah. Yeah, we probably should start with that in the living areas of the ship, right? Because if there are any survivors, I think that's where they would be. Yeah. Um, you can see uh, from standing on the deck, you can see the uh, uh, the the bridge, the steering house on the bridge. Um, uh, it's the windows have been shattered all around, and uh, there's you can see ice kind of on on the on the coming out and like hanging on to the clinging to the sides of the the steering house. 
Uh, you could probably crawl up there if you wanted to. I want to. Okay. Yeah, I think we should give it a go. I'll stay down here with the, with the pendulum man. <laughs> yeah. Why? I want to go as well. I can do it. Isn't there like a ladder somewhere so make it easy access? Uh, you know it wouldn't what? be completely uncommon. It should be, oh, actually, unless it's uh, a lighter. Is that what, I don't know what it's called in English, but uh, a ladder in a boat is something different. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> there would be, but it's uh, at the end of the ship that's encapsulated. Nice. All right. Huh? Oh, that's a no. Um, well, then a uh, grappling hook. But there must David. also be other. If we can gain entry into the main body of the ship, there should be other ways up to the bridge. Yeah, let's check the living areas first. So. Then we can. Then we really have all the time in the world. Then we can uh, mm -hmm. try to gain access to the harder to reach areas. Let's first just see if we can find evidence of survivors or what happened. Yep. So if you look at the drawing, you can see that um, near where the ice at the lower part of the where you see the ship in profile, there's like a little uh, outline of a door. Uh, that's how you how you enter the the. Can you, can you use the pin, please? Oh, sorry. Well, we, we want to try to find the captain's quarter, um, or I guess maybe the, the 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 bridge would be where we can find the lock uh, of the events. Uh, would right. be uh, what probably the most interesting thing to take from the ship, right? The lock book. Yeah, I get get figure out exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're telling me there's a door. Let's go in the door. Okay. Do it. Um, so there are doors uh, on either side of the structure. Um, and as you come in, it's a hallway going straight through, so you can see the door, and then there's a hallway passing the other way, going down the length of the, of the structure. Um, the, as you come in, you, you enter here on the, on the right-hand side, or I don't know what that's called, I forget, on the ship. Um, starboard. You, are, you come in on the starboard side, and why can't they just call it right and left? Never mind. <laughs> uh, you come in on the left-hand side, uh, as you come in, uh, you can see that the structure is also encapsulated in ice, and um, then to the right, a hallway runs down the length of the structure, and you can see one, two, three, four, a total of nine doors, eight on, on the sides, and then one at the end. So there's two doors on, on each, so how do you mean eight doors? Four on each side, or how do you Yes, mean? four on each side, and then one at the end. Okay. Are there any uh, so this signs is the on the doors? Door there are no signs on the doors. Uh, well, no, there is. Let's just take him from the left and onwards. Yeah. Yeah. Move down the hall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, just one quick question, Haile. The, the hallway that goes. Um, uh, in the structure, is that also going in both the aft and the and the forward direction of the ship? So, the corridor we come in actually splits like a cross. Yeah. Or is it like a T cross only? No. Okay, so so this so the hallway also go aft into the ice basically, or the ice encapsulated part of the ship. Yes. Okay. You move down the hallway and. Um the first pair of doors you come to, one of them says uh, uh, galley, and the other one says mess. Okay. And they're very relatively small and cramped quarters, um, filled to some extent with ice and uh, the remains of various parts of furniture, uh, chairs and tables and, and, and such. Um, beyond that, there's not much to, 
to speak of. Moving on. Any signs of uh, recent activity or? uh... No. It doesn't bode well. Okay. Um, The next, uh, the next three pairs of doors are uh, look to be crew quarters. Uh, small, very cramped, eight-foot square rooms intended for four people, not, not uh, that different from the ones you have on the Gabrielle. None of them have any bodies. Um, many contain shredded, moldering linen. Um, there are locked cabinets. Yeah. There are locked cabinets at the foot of each bed uh, that contain personal effects. Um, and along, um, along the, the uh, wall, there are several nets that contain kind of the stiff, discolored clothing. I kind of take a look at, at the linens. Why, why and how are they shredded? Well, some of the rooms have uh, small, um, you know, portholes that are broken. So it might be weather. It might just be uh, uh, the, the effect of the cold weather over time on some of them. It's hard to say. Okay, um, but it doesn't look like an animal has shredded the, 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 so like a claw marks or something along those natures. No, I mean, your guess would be no, but then you're not a claw mark expert, so. Um, I, I'd be looking for any sort of uh, letters, documents, uh, diaries, anything like that that might help shed some light on what happened. Mm-hmm. You don't find much of anything in, in these rooms. Moving on, do we want to go uh, into the deeper part of the ship or do we want to head to the right and go towards probably the bridge through here? Well, you're, you're next to the, the last door in the structure. All right, let's check it out. Yeah, let's finish it. This uh, room is a little bit larger than the other ones. Um, it was a once, you know, as luxurious as you get on board of a whale ship, uh, 10 by 16 room that contains the remains of a feathered bed, a desk, and a trunk. Um, the trunk is bound by iron bands and, and closed with a padlock. Um, the desk has been badly weathered by the sea air. Um, it's got drawers in it. Um, let's search the drawers for a key. <laughs> Uh, you pull the drawer out, uh, the drawers out, and they're aligned with oiled leather. Um, Ooh, so nice. they're, they're content. I'm taking the disc. <laughs> <laughs> Get it on board the long. I'm going to need an athletics roll. <laughs> uh, you find a logbook inside of the um, uh, inside oh, of the, the, the drawer. All right, let's with, see if this um, old lock still works. Along with several letters uh, from the captain's family, you find a photo. And a fountain pen. Let's grab it all. All right. The first thing is let's see. So we got the ship lock. I have locks in it, so if I take my time, oh, like I'm not under pressure, can I? I have lock. lock well, well you do also. If, if if you have a key, it might be even easier. <laughs> it is easier. Here. Let me read this to you. You did find a key. Yeah, or oh, a key. No? Good. No, you haven't found the key. All right. So first, let me read the the logbook um, before we move on. Uh, actually, uh, wait a minute. Uh, so on the bed, uh, you find uh, you see the dried, frozen remains of the captain 
lying in bed, fully dressed, with a pistol beside his outstretched hand and an empty whiskey bottle uh, nearby. Uh, does it appear like he has shot himself? Or... Yes. Okay. Uh, does the uh, I'll uh, I'll take the pistol, I guess. <laughs> how, how, how old? Is that was the what I was gonna do. Search his, search his pockets for the key. Jesus. Like, how long does he look like he's dead? Like, it would really suck if he shot himself yesterday saying, I've given up all hope of rescue. That'd be the last one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, there's no hope of rescue. <laughs> they'll never come. They'll never come. Turns out the reports of the, like, the gunshot reports from the ice was actually a real gunshot. Um, no, he looks like he's been dead for a while. Um, you... Uh, you flip through the logbook and um, you find the last entries that tell of the ship running into a squall and the explosion of the boiler and death of most of the crew and uh, the subsequent impeachment, uh, uh, impeachment in the pack ice. And uh, it tells of healthy survivors setting off in a boat to the north, uh, leaving only the captain and two others who were too injured to move. Uh, and um, the final entry, which uh, is dated two weeks after the accident, and it reads like this. <clears throat> March 12th. It's over. My hand is wholly useless now, lost to the gangrene, and the red lines of infection have spread past the tourniquet up my arm. There's nothing to be done. My own stench disgusts me. Bowers passed on in the night. I'm no Shackleton, no Mawson, to face the odds and overcome them. I'm merely an old, tired soul who has lost the gamble and will die alone upon the ice. This horrible, endless ice. It's beautiful, but heartless. In these past few days, I've come to hate its cruelty. It cries and whispers and moans to me in the still air, grinding hopes and prayers away in mindless, hostile fury. I pray the others got away. There's nothing for anyone here. Even the whales are long gone. Should anyone ever find this log, let me praise once again the excellence uh, and skill of my officers and crew. Their loyalty and stout hearts are without peer. I wish them well and pray that they are now safely homeward bound. I give my love to Nancy and the boys. May they find happiness in years to come. I only regret I cannot hold them to me one last time. God forgive me for what I'm about to do. Stephen Willard, captain of the SS Wallaroo. P.S. Just to spite my the, those who discover the ship, I'm throwing all the gold overboard. All right. Hi, I wasn't kidding. I'm taking that to handgun. Okay. I might need it later. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll give you. Some let's take later. the log so that in the event we <laughs> we make it home, we can we can pass it on to his next of kin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he he uh, was saying that he, he hopes that the rest. Are safely homeward bound. I didn't understand that. Did somebody yeah, the, leave the ship or what? Yeah, the four yeah, crew members. Yeah. yeah, only those who were injured stayed behind, and the, and the captain. Ah, so okay. I guess we, I mean, I guess we don't know the history of this. We need to ask the crew back on our boat. Did they knew about the Wallaroo? Did did a crew did crew make it? Were they rescued or it, were all hands assumed lost and they never made it home? They don't know that. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody knows. Yeah, we'll have to ask when we get back to our ship. Maybe someone will help. Uh, Belcour, there's a one-point evidence collection spend if you want it. All right, let's go. Do it. We, uh, we have a radio, right? Like Morse code. Uh, we can radio back to with sure. Morse code to yep. query. Okay. Uh, Tom, you find, uh, as you pull out the, the drawer in, in at the back of the, the drawer uh, space, you find a leather pouch. Um, hmm. 
It looks Check old. Bag of Two dice. copper and one silver. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this. Yeah. And it, it has the sound. Oh, no. Uh, I like it. That's what I'm talking about. Look what I found. And when you pull it out, you see, you see coins that look like this. Oh. Pieces of eight. What? like this. Was that like a Hydra death head you had there? Well, I'm glad you asked. Can my anthropology be of any use in this case? I put it on in roll 20. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Don't touch it. Well, those are only legal tender in Atlantis. <laughs> it doesn't look like your normal set of coins. It certainly doesn't. Uh, and inside oh, wow. is also an iron key. Sweet! Iron, oh, I, I, pass, I, I pass it on to William. Can you uh, handle the lock, please? Cool. <clears throat> um, yeah, I want to do some anthropology on those coins at one point as well. A, a thorough investigation, highly. Mm-hmm. But maybe not now. No, we'll put it in the pocket and take it to the ship. Those Chinese-looking figures are on there too. Yeah, yeah, we can probably buy opium on the Orient Express. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> uh, okay, I don't even know if that makes sense. Just a second. There was one hint, uh, and I forgot where that information came from, but that's something like that. The rocks uh, found on the South Pole were. They, they had a, some kind I of... I magnetized, yeah. And oh, I they, think... they, were, they were dangerous in some way. I think that the previous yeah. uh, expedition, Kepsa. they made the conclusion. But these no, I coins... think there was something... Uh, Jens, I think it was something about the captain touched some black stones from the Arctic. Yeah, and right, then he lost... The, the stones he lost, or the fingers he used for touching the stone, those he lost. Yeah. As far as but I remember. The, these are just coins, although we've never seen them before. I mean... These are sailors, right? They, they get around. Yeah. But clearly, we can identify. It looks like Asian symbols on one, right? And that looks like Chinese yeah. or yeah. Right. So that's fine. But for the others. Um, anyway, I'll very put them in the pouch and bring them to the ship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm getting a very eerie feeling about this. Does it look like what kind of metal? Does it look like they made out of silver? Are they silver? Uh, silver metal. I'm gonna go with yes. All right, and remelt them into bullets later. There you go. <clears throat> okay. But, but highly, there's no exit points from this uh, going up into the ship up to the. Hey, we have a big chest. We need to open. Yeah, I got the key, calm, so I'll open. Calm, it. calm your tits. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, let's open it. Let's open it. Uh, all right. So, uh, anybody has locksmith? Yeah. I thought there was a key. I tried the key. I, I, well, I gave the key to William that also has locksmithing. Okay. Uh, you try the key on the on what? The, the locked chest. The... In the room. Yeah. In the room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit okay. that lock. Maybe it fits the other one. Okay, then I guess well, I'll try to locksmith it. Well, uh, we checked the, the pockets of the captain to see if he has a key for the lock. You do that. I'll do that. <laughs> um, you. Uh... With the, I, I try not to disturb the body. <laughs> that is Too disturbing much. the body. 
too much. That's disturbing the body. disturbing the body? I'm an archaeologist. I know how to do these things. Trust Stand me. back. I'm a professional. <laughs> Trust me. I'm a scientist. <laughs> yeah, I'm a professional body disturber. Yeah. <laughs> you try to get into the pockets, um, and uh, some of them, uh, like on his on his coat, are uh, clad in blood. So you 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 try to lift the, the coat and you can see the, the frozen blood kind of crack and the ice splinters as you Yeah, as, you as expected, up. as expected, moving on. You find a small key You find a small key that could be fitting for the padlock in the trunk. See, see, see. Oh, there you go, yeah. see. Right. Here you go, William. Looting bodies does pay off. Make a note itself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, it's one of the oldest traits. One of the oldest traits. Give me, okay. give me a, uh, a stability roll. What? All of us? No, just stump. Just uh, me? But this is, this is my job. Two. One point of stability loss. Weak You're mind. More insane. <laughs> Weak mind. <laughs> Pull myself together, man. <laughs> you uh, you take the key and use it on the on the on the trunk. Uh, and inside, you find uh, a box of ammunition for the gun, um, a bunch of clothes, and uh, various other personal effects. You know, uh, smoking equipment and whatnot, uh, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, quick All question, right, well, doctor. Uh, doctor, do you know how to handle a firearm? Yeah, I have. Uh, I am from Germany. <laughs> I am from Germany. <laughs> what do you expect me? <laughs> just checking. Just checking. Yes, I can use a firearm. Yeah. All right. I'll give the box of ammo to the doctor then, since he has the pistol. And right. we'll just we'll gather up the personal effects to again keep with the diary so that we can return it. Okay. Um, let's see if I can just quickly find the firearm. Look up. Anyone want to check the box and see if there's like a hidden compartment? Anyone have a skill in? Uh, well, I have concealed, in, but I guess it only works. You mean in the, uh, well, in the chest? You mean? It would be yeah, evidence, evidence collection. But um, conceal, I think, would work, right? Because conceal would be—it's a skill of hiding things, which means you can reverse engineer and you'd know how people would hide. You know, that's a good question. Might. It probably does. Either way, yeah, there, there are no concealed compartments. Okay. <laughs> okay. Worst chest ever. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else? What else do you do? Well, that's it. So, yes, have we. Was this the bridge or. Uh, no, no this was the living quarters. We haven't been to the bridge. Let's no. go to the no. bridge. Okay. But uh, we can't do it from here, I think. Maybe. Well,. There must be access to the bridge from inside, right? No. Yeah, but I, then it must no. be further down because there's no exits from here, right? Okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's such a silly boat. Deck right. It okay. would make sense that the captain could get to the bridge ASAP, but... Mm, maybe in the hidden compartment, eh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> if there's a bookshelf, I try to look behind it to see if there's a door. <laughs> there are no doors. No <laughs> there, are, there are various books, uh, including uh, uh, a book by Poe. Oh, now you tell me. I grabbed uh, it in the uh, in the chest. Ah. Oh, within the chest. Which, which book? 
uh, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. I knew it! I knew it! And it contains the rare last chapter, right? (laughs) (laughs) It must contain the rare last chapter. (laughs) No, it does not. So it's just a regular edition, like... Yeah, it's a paperback. uh, Just a regular dish. Got it already. It's must reading for every salty sea captain. And then various other... uh, There's some charts and that kind of thing, but but nothing that kind of springs to you as as being particular. Take everything and then investigate it properly when we get back. The captain won't need it anymore. That's true. He took my sanity. (laughs) Well, at least he didn't take your virginity. Are there any Yet. notes in it? Uh, no. It no, seems nothing hand, handwritten. Nothing. No, but it's been read. You can tell from the from the condition of the book that it's been read. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, it's actually a little funny, huh? What a coincidence. Yes, that's quite a coincidence. Yeah, that is a little st- quite a coincidence. Interesting. That's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> Isla, that's freaky. Freaky. Hold on. Uh, well, uh, so what else? Uh, what else are you are you looking to do? So we're gonna go check the bridge. Uh, go outside. Try to get access. But was there any access to the part that's covered in ice? No, I mean the the whole back of the ship. It's just essentially a wall of ice, and you you, you okay. can't uh, move you can't along into it. All right, let's uh, head to the bridge. Uh, wait, there's yeah. one more. Um, there's also a shoes uh, van book. Called an, sure. an, yeah. an Arctic mystery. Schulzwern. Schulzwern. Since uh, since the the good doctor is stealing everything else, he might as well take that. <laughs> <laughs> Looting. <laughs> Looting the dungeon. Okay, let's uh, get outside, crawl up on the side, and get into the bridge. How hard can it be? I'm waiting downstairs. Yeah. Right. Okay, who who climbs first? I will do it. Magnus, the strong the, the climber, guy. Climber, right? Give me athletics. I will, I will give you athletics. <laughs> <laughs> you shall have athletics. You um, five. There you go, Tom. Uh, <laughs> do you attempt it? To... No, that was before. Um, Oh. I can't remember what that roll is for. I, okay. That was when I didn't have to roll, I think, or something. Okay. I didn't do anything. Uh, in that case, uh, Jens, you um, you find uh, some some grips uh, to climb up and, and uh, get up on. So the the deck is like this, and then the the steering house is is on the front. You climb up here and can kind of access it from from the back. Um, and you can see all the windows. Uh, around or shattered and uh, the door is kind of encased in ice. The ice from the back of the ship is kind of, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? There's ice kind of across the entire uh, top of the ship as well, as well as inside of the um, the steering house itself. Um, and you peer inside of, of, uh, of there and it's, it's pretty, it's, the floor is completely encapsulated in ice and a lot of the, the instrumentation is looks broken and uh, destroyed. And beyond that, uh, there's some, some maps and, and stuff like that, but nothing really noteworthy. Okay, are any of the maps interesting? I mean, we have no, they, basic maps. Oh, yeah, there it is. But 
But uh, is there any? Um... No, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's an, an, a nautical map of Antarctic waters and Australian waters and that sort of thing, uh, charting their their course. Um, which uh, the last entry, which is also in the logbook. The logbook takes a little while to read, but so you might not know this right now. But um, it just charts the the last position of of the of the ship, which was. Uh, a few hundred miles, uh, or um, several hundred miles from from here. Okay. But further south. Uh, well, further um, um, to the west. Mm -hmm. um, yep. All right. Nothing to see here. Let's head back. Let's get on. Yeah, well, I, I want to see some penguins. I grabbed so the we, just have, we have one more key to try in that locked. Ah, yeah, that's true. Box in the it, hold. Is there access to anything? God else? damn it! Now we need to find that <laughs> where that fits. Is there access to anything else from the bridge? No. Okay. Well, I crawl back down. Mm -hmm. God damn it! Where could that yep. key go to? The, the, I, I look yeah. at the key again. What does it look like it would fit? Well, I think uh, well, David. We cast a yeah. We oh, yeah, cast yeah. a lock, strong yeah, box yeah. at the. Hold. Yeah. You're the pro. What what does it look like it would fit into? Let's go try that box. Yep, you try it. Uh, it fits, and inside you find uh, some very old, very uh, fine whiskey. Ooh! Uh, oh, it's been frozen. Keep the doctor away. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's handy, especially going uh, to someplace cold to have some extra whiskey. Yes. I will reserve a drink for the, the gallant crew that perished. I will toast their honor. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cold. A little I'm on cold. the floor, say, for, for the OGs. <laughs> Not on the floor, god damn it. Ah, oh, god damn it. Mad. <laughs> no, we have cheap Bavarian beer for that sort of thing. Right. Um, all right. Anything else you want to do? I'm good. No. I think it's pretty clear. It sounds like there are no survivors. They all... Hope, in hope of rescue, sailed off. But it's a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's much we can use for our expedition, right? We've we, we've just mm -hmm. re resupplied, so we don't exactly yeah. need food, and this food here is all questionable. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. I, just, I guess there's no spare engines for our uh, plane, so. No. 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 Let's. Uh, Let's call it a day's expedition and head back. Okay. Um, you board the longboat again, return to the Gabrielle um, without, without further incident, mm. and uh, you know debrief and so forth. And, and the Gabrielle uh, fires her engine that's up again and, and continues further south. Um, shortly after leaving the Wallaroo behind. Uh, Tom, you're you're up on deck, and um, you see jutting from an icy pressure ridge a small dark object. Oi! Stuff in the water. Uh, <laughs> or whatever you say. <laughs> no, that's the technical term. I see stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you. Uh, Is it a penguin? <laughs> no. I think it's a penguin. <laughs> Uh, you get a telescope, um, and you can see that uh, the object seems to be a splintered prow of a ship's lifeboat. Oh, man. Oh, splintered what, sorry? A splintered lifeboat, just the prow, and the rest seems to be nothing but a flattened mass buried deep within the ice. I guess and we know how this story ends, then. Yeah, oh. 
You can see the faint imprint of the name Wallaroo on the side. That's yeah. great. How far was it? Just it was like just right around the, just really close to the about two hundred yards. They like floated together. <laughs> yeah. We'll make it. We'll make it. <laughs> I give a little. I give a little salute. <laughs> All right, and with that, I, uh, I go and mark it on a map somewhere where we found both okay. things uh, with the captain. And yeah, but I honestly think uh, all the f maps and charts and books and uh, the coins, and we should sit down uh, our little investigation team here and uh, look it through with all our um, skills. Yeah, uh, I think definitely you should do that. All right, I have a couple of things. Okay. Um, uh, I tell the captain uh, what we found and said, uh, tell him that we will uh, we'll have a sit down in the group and investigate further this, the, 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 the books we found and uh, the materials. And then we'll, for anyone interested in the crew, we'll tell them what we've discovered about the boat uh, in the following days. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, I would like to invite uh, my friends to join me in the mess hall for a glass of wine. Um, <laughs> And uh, a little baguette. A little baguette. Um, and so then we can have a look at the books and the, the coins and see if we can dig up. Word spreads also of your, you know, of, of what you found and whatnot. And um, um, people come to, to look at the coins and, and marvel at, it, at how bizarre it is. It must be some Asian thing. A um, heroin with a rescue of the. <laughs> Yeah, since everybody's sailors, maybe, some, maybe somebody have seen yeah. those coins before somewhere. Yeah, no, nobody, nobody seems to have, and, and some of these people have sailed pretty far and wide. But mm. as you also remarked on, like it seems, it seems like some of them, you know, have these uh, uh, kind of Asian-looking uh, symbols yeah. on them and whatnot. Um, That's what stood out strangely to me. It's like in the midst of all that, there's Asian symbols. Yeah, um, and uh, anthropology can give us nothing. Archaeology? Um, not really. I mean, not beyond what... Or cult? What, um, uh, that's a good question. I think we weren't allowed to get points in a cult. I, I had a lot, but uh, I had to swap them. Yeah. I was told yeah, to get right. put in a cult. Isn't more a geologist? Would he be able to... Like, in case it's not silver, would he be able to give some sort of feedback on what material might have been used for these coins or give some sort of, um, I don't know, dating or... Yeah, they actually... They're, so it's a little hard to see. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, uh, can you see? So it's actually more gold-like than silver. I think I misspoke. Um, it could even... It looks even like a map. It could be. Or a uterus. Oh, and then on the other that side. Second guess. <laughs> yeah. Am I the only one who seems like an octopus? Uh, yeah. Octopus I'll flip you over to, to the Wallaroo again so you can get a look at the the photo. Um, so they're, they, they're gold. Um, it's, I mean, they, they obviously look like these symbols have some sort of um, if not a cult, then uh, it's a language that nobody here knows. Yeah, but uh, but occult uh, using the occult academic skill will will not help here. Uh, no, it doesn't give you give you anything. There's uh, nobody's nobody's seen these these coins mm. before mm. here. Um, I should look up the occult skill because I do feel like I it was not a purest skill. 
Because I was remember after we made our characters, there was uh, some talks about some skills we didn't have. Any of us had anything in? That's right. Yeah, Ocon is fine. I think that was Cthulhu uh, uh, mythos. Yeah, your Cthulhu mythos. Uh, yeah, Ocon is fine. Um, no, but you, you, the only thing you can say is that there's there doesn't seem to be much that uh, that you can, um, mm -hmm. you know, actually give me. Hmm. Give me a one point. There's a one point spend available. Okay, on a cult. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that. All right. So, so, so Tom, some of this gives you. So, there's a lot of um, imagery on here. Let's see this one. Mm -hmm. It looks a little bit like fish. Octopus on the outside here. It's like sharks or something. Oh yeah, yeah. And then yeah, the yeah. middle might have some sort of octopus-like like look. Um, that does remind you of, of stories that you've heard about, um, uh, and, and obviously these are, uh, you know, just stories and folklore of um, crossbreeding uh, between man and, and fish. Uh, it's a North American folklore uh, from from Massachusetts uh, or thereabouts, if you're not mistaken, but there was, there were some stories uh, about uh, gold um, that uh, was paid to to man for certain things, but beyond that, you're a little... Yeah. Well, it's not like I believe in the occult myself, it's just we've had so many occult expositions mm -hmm. in the museum and stuff like that, so I just picked up a lot of stuff along down the way. Uh, well, who believes in that sort of thing? Yeah. yeah. But it's still part of it's still part of it's still part of history, right? So it's still interesting. Anyone, Anyone? Uh, from an anthropological point of view. Altmaier, Altmaier. <laughs> what does the pendulum say? What does the pendulum say? <laughs> well, we go through everything we picked up, uh, the books, and the, mm -hmm. you read through the log. It gives you. It takes. Uh, it takes several hours to read through, and uh, we take our time. I guess we are not in a rush to do anything else. No, and it's it's quite hard to decode because uh, the penmanship is is pretty uh, archaic looking. Um, but it reveals nothing more except what I've already uh, mm. told you. Okay. But at least we know more of the story of the crew and stuff like that. And I was just in case any like, I'll do a little presentation of the ship and the story uh, the mm -hmm. next day or whatever for anyone interested in that. Yeah, I'll do that in the well. The Gabrielle pushes southward through the pack for five more days after leaving the whaler behind. Fog shrouds the surface of the ice, burning off. Uh, only briefly when southern winds bring sharp flurries of snow. Each day is the same, an endless grinding succession of thrusts against the icy walls of the lead. Sometimes progress is made, most often it's not. Forward motion is measured in feet or at best in yards. On November 8th, the last lead closes over both before and behind, and the Gabrielle is trapped in a narrow stretch of water, her hull sandwiched closely between the frozen walls. The pack beyond is utterly silent, save for an occasional... Uh, sharp rapport for a long, drawn-out groan. Uh, we have only two choices, Starkweather tells the men. We either wait for a storm to free us, uh, or risk a risky undertaking at best, or we blast our way out, he grins. I favor the dynamite, what say the rest of you? Dynamite, dynamite. <laughs> there are a few problems dynamite can't solve. Exactly. <laughs> uh, after long... And for those problems, we have uh, duct tape and WD-40. Yeah. <laughs> 
After long talks with the ship's officers, the dynamite is broken out. Packard, Sykes, and Griffith all have small amounts of experience with explosives. Any of you have uh, explosives? Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, no. Yes, I do. Uh, you're free to help. I won't uh, go into playing it out because it's not that interesting. Okay. The blasting teams are lowered over the side onto the ice, climbing the flows. They scout forward and aft in search of weak spots in clear water. Uh, once the placement of the dynamite is decided, charges are planted at appropriate places in the flows and detonated on long fuses. The first explosions seem impossibly loud. Sprays of ice fly everywhere and puffs of smoke billow upward. The ship is forced forward with the full power of our engines once, twice, a third time in grinding surges and the lead groans open with a roar. Everyone cheers. Just like Bastille Day! Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, explosives, explosives are used a half dozen more times over the following two days when the old thick ice seems impassable. Each time after a try or two, the ship pushes through, her steel sides scarred and dented but unbroken. On November 10th, the wireless brings the news. Acacia Lexington's party has established their base camp on the Ross Sea Barrier. From the bridge of the Gabrielle, the ice stretches unbroken in all directions. The open water of the Ross Sea seems impossibly far away. The next day, however, the ship finds thinner ice. It's a ticklish passage. The pack is loose and the heavy flows slam together without warning, threatening to crush the hull. But Captain Redenberg manages to save the ship time and time again, nudging ancient bergs forward to thrust others aside with a delicate hand. On the 12th of November, snow flurries once again close the world to within a few yards of the ship. The expedition pushes forward gingerly with lookouts straining to all sides. Hours pass in the cold wet of the storm. Then one of the lookouts calls out, a sea! A sea! The captain orders all engines stopped as the rumble and motion ceases. Everyone aboard suddenly knows that it's true. The ship is rocked gently in the slow swell of an open sea once more. For all that night and the following day, the ship pushes through the pack. The fog lifts early on, a rough horizon of pancake ice and heavy bergs below a water-dark line of distant sky. Thick sea mists close in again soon after, locking the world away once more. But the ice is loose and easily shoved aside. At 10.20 on the morning of November 13th, Gabrielle pushes into open water at last. The sounds of celebration from the crew and turns southwest towards her chosen goal. Early on November 14th, 28 days after leaving Melbourne, land is sighted to the south. A few hours later, the horizon is filled with the sight of the Admiralty Range humbling the land below them. A tired but elated crew at last reach the Antarctic and Ross Island. On deck, the sun breaks through the thinning clouds. We made it. Awesome. Woo! Ross Island. <sighs> Which means we're halfway home, in a way. Um, All right. Yeah. All right. So, um... Ross Island. Let me just... It's, uh... my map. Where it indents. So if you have north up, then... North is all the way around. <laughs> Doesn't make North is everywhere. Yeah. So it's at the bottom there. At the bottom. Is that it? Mm, no. I'm going to go with no. Uh, no, you're. I'm going to see where. Um, see where it kind of goes in. You have the Ross Sea. Yeah. 
Yes. We are sold to Mount uh, Mount Erebus. Jens, go to one hundred. Uh, yeah, on the Ross. Yes. It's, it's in, in Ross Island. It's in there somewhere. Uh, it's, it's look for Mount Doom and then the Black Gate and. <laughs> it's actually Mount Mount Erebus, which and then Mount uh, and Erebus means something along the lines of like Mount Doom or something like that. Oh, great. It's pretty, pretty, pretty great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so on this map, like, something that really... Ah, okay, it's because what's all white is ice. It's basically land, right? Okay, but uh, then... It's a light continent, white. there's land under it. Say again, Jens? Right, okay, but then what's sort of more bluish, very light bluish? Yeah. Does that mean it's pack ice, or...? Yeah. Yeah, it means that it's uh, more or less permanent, permanent ice to some extent. But this map is also old, so it's not a perfect mapping of the Antarctic. Right. It's from the late 20s. Okay. Well, because right. it's like I the geography, up. the size of Antarctica, it grows and shrinks based on the seasons, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Summer, or it's, well, it's, right. it's winter, so it's the. Yeah. So it's where the ice is in the, in the winter versus the summer, essentially. Yeah. Which is the South Pole, so in the winter that means it's the most recessed. There's the least amount of ice. Well, Antarctic winter. There would be more. Anyway. Uh, okay, so but, I. But uh, is <clears throat> it uh, uh, when we camp here in, in uh, Ross uh, Island, is that. Um, you said that is more or less pack ice free, so we can sail in and out from this uh, position. No, no. The, 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 the pack surrounds uh, uh, most of Antarctica at this point. It, it changes depending on the season. You're, you're entering into um, spring now. Uh, so it'll, it'll, it'll thaw up a little bit. Um, but you're, you're, if you want to go out, you're going to have to go through the same ice that you just went through. Yeah, okay. So it's not a clear passage. Uh, okay. Okay, so I promise at some point we'll get an end uh, to these travel descriptions. Uh, just a quick, quick question. Uh, this island here, is that, that's not our final destination then? We're just... No. Uh, it, but it is where... Um, um, it's close to where you're going to uh, disembark and uh, mm. disload the ship. So um, that's what we're coming to now. Um, and do I have a map of... Hold on. Melbourne, Rossi. Oh, I think I actually have this map. Yep. Okay, so I've pulled up the map of the Ross, uh, the Rossi. So you can see uh, on here, um, you've got the Rossi, which is where you're sailing in, and then you have Ross Island, which has Mount Terror. And Mount Erebus. Um, what? Yeah, we're not. We're just totally not going there. Mount Terror. <laughs> that sounds Sorry. perfect. That's worse than Mount Doom. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, and as you can see, you have the the ice in here. That's the Ross Ice Shelf. And you, you know the the Ross Ice Shelf. It's it looks kind of like uh, that. Oh wow! Right. Okay. It's, it's, you don't you just step off the boat. <laughs> no, no. It's it's. It's crazy tall and just like this uh, uninterrupted wall of ice. Uh, it's, it's where all the icebergs are bred from, I think. Um, and uh, then at at the 
to the right of Ross Island, next to the Prince Albert Mountains and all this stuff, you have this shelf where the Lexington Expedition currently is, and the Star Weather Prince Expedition. Albert. <laughs> <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Stimpy, you idiot. <laughs> Uh, good. So, but uh, highly all the markings on the map, for example, uh, Scott Base, uh, Lakes Camp, and so forth. Uh, yep. Is that uh, part of? Uh, is, or can you explain this a little bit? Sure. So Scott's Camp um, and uh, Camp Ev Cape Evans. Can you put in some markers? It's a little hard to both read the text and see where we are at. <laughs> but not just anywhere. <laughs> You're approximately here. Yeah. <laughs> so McMurdo Sound is the name of this little bay that you're in next to Ross Island. Ross Island um, is the it's it's essentially it's been the landing point of, of most Antarctic expeditions, uh, especially the ones that have gone to this this part of Antarctica. Um, it has uh, Scott's old uh, base on there. So there's to this day actually there's still uh, his house uh, that they built when they were there. It has books and everything in it to this day. Um, and beyond that, you have just names of some islands. There's White Island, Black Island. You've got, um, I think, Mount Lister. And then uh, those are just landmarks. And then on the right hand, or left-hand side, you have the Little Americas, just to give you direction. And then on the right-hand side, you have the Lakes Camp, which gives you a direction of which direction Lakes Camp is at. It's very far, though. It's like four hours by plane. But but who is Lake? Lake is the the gentleman that. Um, so remember the the previous expedition, the Miskatonic. Uh, yeah. Lake is the guy and his team who went uh, and found discovered the mountains. Ah, the okay. disastrous expedition, yeah. right? That, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. His his whole team, that whole camp, was wiped out in the storm. Yeah. And that's uh, your ultimate destination. And, and, and Lexington expedition, the Lexington yeah. expedition is somewhere around Prince Albert, or what did you say? Yeah, they're right here, uh, right there. Oh, over there. Okay, so they're quite. Then remember, the, but what? then the Miskatonic okay. expedition, which is the more recent one, went to Lakes Camp, and that's where yeah. they they reported all that fantastical stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so. The SS Gabrielle nears Ross Island in the early afternoon of Tuesday, November 14th, and draws cautiously into the icy waters of McMurdo Sound to the west. Mount Erebus looms overhead, smoking constantly. The region of the Ross Sea between the island and the mainland is still solid with thick sea ice which stands six to eight feet above the surface of the water. The barrier, easily visible even here, rises upwards like a wall, several miles distant across broken ground. Starkweather is elated. We've arrived, he declares. Captain Anker, the ship, we shall begin our assault from here. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Antarctica. Within an hour, the ship is secured to the ice with long mooring lines. The hatch covers on the cargo holds have been removed, and the arduous work of unloading begins. First planks and later the great ramps serve as gangways onto the Antarctic ice. Both dogs and men press off the ship as fast as they can, eager to be ashore and to see at first hand their strange new world. The next two days pass in a flurry of non-stop activity as the expedition's cargo is put ashore onto the ice below the barrier. Once the Gabrielle is unloaded, all of the cargo will be brought up and over the barrier by dog sled and caterpillar tractor. The barrier ice is very stable, even a few uh, hundred yards inland, but the sea ice on which the Gabrielle unloads is only a few yards thick. 
and weakening day by day. It may soon split apart unpredictably. Speed is essential uh, to getting everything ashore and also in moving the Gabrielle away from the barrier, which now and then calves off icebergs, making abrupt and dangerous waves. Many of the uh, Gabrielle's crew lend a hand laboring alongside um, the explorers, that's you guys and your team. Uh, boxes and barrels stream down the big collapsible ramp brought up from the third hold. Scientists and sailors work six-hour shifts, one on, one off, around the clock, beneath the sun that never sets. The ship's cargo hoists never stop moving until all of the expedition's gear is on land. The men and women helping with the transfer are divided up into four work gangs. Three of these move the cargo off the ship, while the fourth prepares a temporary camp on the thicker ice a few hundred yards inland. The docks and their sleds are among the first items to be transferred. As soon as possible thereafter, they're divided into four teams and put to work. Two of these, led by Pulaski and Fiskerson, step out across the, uh, set out across the ice in search of an easy route up to the top of the barrier. The others are used to drag cargo loads away from the shore onto safer ground. The expedition's landing plan, put together by Starkweather and Moore with the help of Sykes and Sorensen and probably Maunison, um, during the trip south goes as follows. Offload the docks and the prepared sleds first. Two exploration parties must depart at once while the other sled teams can be used to move the cargo. First order of business is to locate a useful campsite close at hand where a runway can be constructed. Offload and assemble the uh, tractors as soon as possible. These are to be used to move more heavy equipment and also to prepare a runway near the camp. The aircraft are to be moved onto the campsite as soon as the tractors are ready and aircraft assembly follows at once. The remaining cargo can be moved piecemeal with the camp equipment going first, followed by the food research tools such as the Peabody apparatus and finally the bulk of the aircraft fuel. And once the aircraft are assembled, survey and exploration flights uh, begin, uh, which uh, David, you're, you're, you'll be a part of. Uh, these can work with the uh, surveying sled teams to locate better campsites on the barrier near the old Miskatonic base and so on. Beyond that, uh, we don't really have to play through the unloading unless you guys are just Eakin to get some, yeah. some unloading play in there. Well, I was just wondering what kind of hooks uh, are we using to hoist with? Like, what type of rope? No, I, I can, I look, I'm pretty sure I can actually give you that detail. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm very fine. I'm just uh, making sure that the, the, the rest of my wine makes it safely assured. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, right, so... Uh, everybody is busy doing this. Um, it takes about 12 hours to unload the ship and a few more hours to establish the temporary camp. Uh, Can you put a point where we establish our camp? Uh, or at least where the, well, the goal so is it's, to set up a You're about camp. here. You're a little south of where your ultimate camp is going to be. Uh, that's being prepared right now. And so all of the... So the ship is, uh, the ship is moored to the sea ice and then uh, everything is unloaded onto the sea ice, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. and then it gets pulled up to the barrier camp, uh, which is on top of the barrier. Sorry, Heidi, is that where we are now, where you said the pin? Yeah. Is that where we're going? That's where you are. Okay, got it. It takes about 12 hours to unload the ship and a few more hours to establish the temporary camp. Wafts of sulfurous smoke from the smoldering volcano drifts over the party now and then as they ceaselessly unload. At 6 o'clock in the morning of November 15th, after Gabriel casts off from the ice and pushes free into the Ross Sea once more. Depending on the weather and the ice, she'll be idle now for weeks, except for her powerful radio, which will transmit messages to the rest of the world. In case of emergency, she can come to your rescue.
Tents are assembled at the, assembled at the temporary campsite and hot meals are prepared. Uh, both tractors are in use. One hauls heavy loads from the shore while the other labors to smooth the runway uh, on the ice. The first aircraft, the RF Scott, a Fairchild monoplane. David, do you have, um, you remember I sent you uh, way back when um, a PDF, I think it was, of aircraft yes. information? Yes. I can send it to you again if you don't have it, just in case you're, you have any interest in it. Um, so you have, you currently have three planes. You have the, the two Boeings, 247s. Yeah. Uh, they carry, I think it's about six people. And then you have the Fairchild monoplane, which is relatively small and has room for four people. It's called the RF Scott. The, the engines we lost, um, yeah. how did that impact our flight situation? So it means so you, you had three Boeings, now you only have two. Okay. And you have some parts you know, from, from... Yeah, now we've got a lot of spare parts. A lot of spare parts, yeah. <laughs> Um, so the, the Scott's been built while the pieces of the remain, remaining Boeings, the Weddell and the Enderby have been uncrated and await finally assembly nearby. Most of the expedition's fuel, fuel remains uh, near the shore. It'll take uh, several days to ferry it inland to the camp, um, but enough is present for an initial flight by the Scott once the runway's been prepared. For most of you, this is your first opportunity to work in the deep Antarctic cold, uh, even the near-perfect weather of November 14th and 15th. The temperatures hover around 0 degrees Fahrenheit. Each breath of wind numbs fingers and cheeks and bites deeply into unprotected skin. The thick, heavy Arctic clothing, clothing must be worn at all times. Okay, now we get to the fun part. Whee, penguins! Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, first... Um, Refresh all of your skills. Woohoo! Oh, all of them. Yeah. All of them. Wipe wipe them out. All of them. Uh, I, sh I should have spent more. Yeah. <laughs> and health, right? Uh, yeah, and health. Yes, and stability. No. Mm, no. So. From here on out, it'll be a while before you have an, oh, a, a refreshing uh, point again. Oh, oh, <laughs> uh, so um, spend them wisely. When um, when uh, things calm down a little bit, um, I want to just put some a little bit of practice into my theoretical sledding uh, <laughs> skills because <laughs> we've been taught sledding on board. Well, yeah. I have. Uh, but I have zero practical experience, so I observe mostly. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and give, to keep, give uh, pointers. And I was like, ah, that's what he meant by you know. And, now uh, I see. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there's ample opportunity for for that uh, here. And also, uh, I have some. Uh, I, I I was trained in Arctic weather, and I'm experiencing this uh, firsthand as well now. I guess. Ah, speaking of Arctic weather. Um, we're going to start checking for frostbite. Ah, what the? Why you? Yeah. Ah, that's uh, a little too early. Come on. Every day spent uh, outside, uh, you're going to be checking for frostbite. Um, and the way it works is that there are levels of frostbite. And uh, if you let it worsen, it'll, it'll impact you significantly um, should, you, should you happen to contract it. But uh, can you heal them? Yeah, you can. Uh, if if it's attended uh, immediately, then you can you can do something about it. I'm sure we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. So the way it works is you do a health test um, against uh, a difficulty, and then if you fail it, you'll uh... your pecker will fall. Oh, so actually, sorry. So 
if you have outdoorsman, you can spend one point of outdoorsman, mm -hmm. and that'll cover you and one other person that you're spending most of the day with. Okay. Or if you don't have that and you're not covered by that, then you do a health test. But uh, let me see if I get this straight. Highlight. I, I, we two, each took three courses during the trip. Yep. Yeah. Uh, myself, so. as an example, I took clothing and equipment for Arctic. Yeah. And then I took Arctic weather. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, oh, sorry, not Arctic, Antarctica. Uh, and then uh, first aid also. Yeah. But the two first was uh, two points each, and the last one was four points. Yeah. Yeah. So you said we spent those points to avoid uh, making the health checks, or was. You can choose to do that, yeah. Okay. So those are dedicated pools uh, that you only have. Like once you spent those, they go away. They, they never refresh. Okay. I think I'll keep those for a while then. Thanks, uh, Heilman. For what? Yeah, so that's just possible. So I, I want to hang out just with for being someone such who's a generous, generous gamer. <laughs> Tom, what do you? How do you deal? No, with I'm, just, I'm just staying inside with the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Fine. I'll. Um, I'll uh, just do a. Um, I'll take uh, one health point and add to my roll, or is that possible? You can choose to do that if you want to. Yes. Uh, and I'll save my Arctic weather points for later because mm -hmm. I, I still feel like if I have a good night's sleep, I can regain a health point, right? Yeah, you gain two uh, health points per uh, uh, day of like night of rest. So, so, so two. reality. So, so the, the the intelligent thing would be to spend two health points on. Avoiding frostbite. Uh, as long as you think you'll have a, a night of rest, yes. Yes, I totally will. Yeah, um, yeah. exactly. Um, so that will be this roll. Boom. Seven. Yep. David, uh, how do you? Okay, I'm going to do the same thing, spend two. Oh, if somebody used their Arctic weather points, though, though they can uh, cover another player, right? If you use Outdoorsman. Wait, say that again? If you use your outdoorsman points, you can cover the ass of another player. Yes. Okay. All right. So I'll, I but won't do that. Again, that's what I mean. These points are better spent in dire circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's for keeping. That's yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. But when you say Arctic weather points, that is outdoorsman. Is that it? Well, I, yes. have, I have what is called Antarctic weather two points in outdoorsman polar survival. Yeah. Yes. That's what okay. it's called. Yes. It means that because you took the uh, Arctic clothing and equipment uh, course, you have two points in outdoorsman that can only be used in polar survival situations. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Christian and Jens, what do you... I need your... Yeah, I'm going to go with the other and use two of my health points mm. and then make a roll. Okay. And Jens? Same thing. Oh, you, did, you rolled already. Yeah. Great. I think okay. we need to check that dice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that question is using. It seems to be a six only. Strangely, is, there a six, is there a six on every side? Show the dice. Show the dice. <laughs> is that the same dice? Magnet under the table. You always yeah. no, You always just hear the sound of a clattering die, and then the camera swoops down to look at the yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, that's funny God. how that works. Okay. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll get fast at doing frostbite checks. You learn quickly to examine each other's faces uh, when you meet one another and one another of, of pale signs and other signs of, of freezing flesh. 
Um, for those moving cargo and digging, sweat is a constant danger. It dampens cloth and works its way into socks and shoes and freezes readily whenever it cools. The slightest trace of moisture in boots or gloves can lead to frostbite and gangrene. And vigilance must be continuous, uh, and this sort of frostbite uh, can't be seen by anybody else. Those of you working with machinery, um, which is probably to some extent David and uh, whoever else might be available for that sort of thing. I don't know who has heavy machinery, but um, the assembly of vehicles and towers and the like can't be accomplished while wearing the heavy Antarctic mittens, and so lighter gloves and even bare hands are frequently necessary. Metal screws, shafts, and bolts, and even the handles of tools stick to the dampened skin and must be touched gingerly, if at all. Um, it's frequently necessary to pull one's arms inside the parka uh, to warm them. The icy surface near the camp is rough and uneven, pushed up into a million small spikes and ridges by the pressures of water and wind. Between the ridges, snow is caught in varying depths, sometimes fresh but often packed heavily into hard layers. It squeaks and squeals beneath the, clats, uh, the cleats of uh, explorers' boots. When there's no snow, the ice is ancient, hard, and slick. Uh, everyone falls uh, many times during the first day and runs the risk of hurting themselves on the ice. Nonetheless, despite the dangers, standing on the Antarctic ice is exhilarating. The surface holds a million subtle shades of blue and green, tinged sometimes with red from the low polar sun. Ice crystals catch the light and sparkle in tiny rainbow flashes, distracting the eye with a sense of quiet, hidden motion. Breath hisses as it freezes, floating away in thick white clouds or condensing into frosty rims on mustaches, anoraks, and furred hoods. When the wind rises, visibility drops to zero in brief but blinding flurries of blown snow. Whiteouts are common. When this happens, the sky and horizon are abruptly lost in walls of brilliant white, and it's no longer possible to see features more than a few feet away. These times are dangerous ones, especially for those on the trail. In the camp and between the campsite on the, and the shore, lines of poles bearing brightly colored flags are set every few feet, the better to guide lost explorers to safety. Even when there's no wind and the air is clear, it's strangely easy to miscalculate or lose one's way. The Antarctic air has a curious property, often commented on by explorers of distorting distances, distances in uncanny fashion. Small objects close at hand seem huge and far away, while enormous distant features look close enough to touch. This subtle derangement gives visitors to the Antarctic a sense of living slightly out of touch with the world, as if the whole polar continent was some sort of careful illusion that might shatter at any time. Ross Island itself, with its smoking Mount Erebus looming overhead, is a fascinating distraction just a few miles away. There's little time to play tourist. Starkweather's urgings and the schedule of the season leave no opportunity for leisure. But the famous mountain is there, should you wish to visit it. There are a number of huts on the western side of the island uh, from previous expeditions. Most are in good condition, many actually usable, though roof repairs are necessary on the older ones, such as the one left by Scott in 1904 and Shackleton in 1908. Much of the equipment brought over by these earlier expeditions remains in their huts, and there's a good chance that emergency food, medical supplies, and a few spare parts are still there and usable should you need them. Several of the huts contain books as well, mostly fiction, though there are also encyclopedias, medical texts. I don't know why you know this, because you haven't been there yet. Um, a cairn of stones not far from Scott's hut, um, 1911 hut, flies a Miskatonic University flag. Inside the cairn is a wooden box containing a few trinkets, a 1930s uh, Miskatonic yearbook, and a card signed by all the members of the Miskatonic Expedition's land party, dated November 16th, 1930. 
uh, you know this because somebody went there. So, uh, just trying to go through this without spending too much time on it. Anton. Although the Bay Ice south of Ross Island is desolate, is desolate in comparison to the reported plenty of the Bay of Wales, it's still far from lifeless. The Starkweather Moor expedition is joined from the beginning by a number of curious locals. The first emperor penguins arrive soon after docking. <laughs> Yeah. Possibly attracted Your by the noise. <laughs> That's it. We can go home now. I'm just going to bring one of these. Um, these are large birds standing three to four feet high and weighing as much as 80 pounds with black bodies and yellow-white abdomens. They watch from a distance in group of four or five, never leaving the water's edge, but calling out now and then in short, sharp squawks. I'm very interested in this. This will, this will distract me for days. <laughs> Adelie penguins are smaller, um, in classic black and white. They wander everywhere near the water, seemingly fascinated by the expedition's equipment and quite unafraid. Easy to chase and to capture, they show no sh signs of alarm, even when attacked by the sled dogs. And they do attack them and eat them. Um, the sea ice also, uh, is also home to a few Weddell seals, thick-bodied creatures marked in black, black and gray, ranging from 7 to 8 feet long and weighing 300 pounds or more who lie at the edge of the sea and watch all the fuss without apparent interest. Olaf Snowbjörn, Olaf Snowbjörn, uh, delighted, shoots one of the seals the first day and drags it into camp for his dogs. He butchers it messily that evening, not far from the mess tent. I tell the dogs they've done well, he explains, holding out a red slab of steaming meat. Try some, it's good eating. Not everyone agrees. Let's clap some seals. <laughs> Stupid baby seals. <laughs> um, the trail party sends word at some this text will end at some point the trail party sends word by radio late on the morning of the 15th they found a navigable trail up onto the barrier and excellent campsite not far beyond plans are made at once to examine the site during Scott's first flight later that afternoon less than an hour later more news is received this time from the ship Acacia Lexington's expedition has flown non-stop over the South Pole and their monoplane the Bell and returned safely to their base camp on the barrier. Starkweather for once received the report in calm silence. The Scott takes to the air at 2.15 that afternoon, lifting easily from its rough runway into still, cloudless skies with Halperin and Longfellow on, uh, at the controls. During its two-hour flight, the little plane flies over Fiskerson's uh, suggested campsite, waggles its wings, its wings at the Lexington Expedition's camp not far beyond, and flies south and west to the barriers surrounding hills before returning. Everything runs flawlessly. The flight crew is elated. Work begins at once to lengthen the runway and assemble the Boeings for flight. Stark weather unusually quiet stays out of the way, but insists that work continue around the clock and through the sunlit night. The next few days are filled with the sound of aircraft engines. The Enderby takes to the air on the morning of November 16th, followed shortly by the Weddell. The smaller Scott continues to make mapping flights along the Ross Sea shore and mountains of the barrier's western edge, while the two Boeings begin the methodical process of airlifting the expedition to its new home 40 miles away. The airlift is expected to take six days. We must move the base, Professor Moore explains to the curious. Within a month, the sea ice on which we now stand will break up and float away, and we must be atop the barrier by then. When we leave in three months' time, we'll load uh, directly from the barrier itself, a feat which is currently too dangerous to attempt. Um, 
Each of the Boeings make five trips on the 16th uh, and six on the day after. By the afternoon of November 17th, the Starkweather-Morris expedition's permanent base camp is well established on the smooth ice of the barrier. More than half of the explorers, including three sled teams, are there. The two tractors and half a dozen men remain on the sea ice to load the aircraft as they arrive. What date was that? That was 16th. And then 17th. So I can put my health points back. Yes. Of November. We're still in yeah. November, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to do the the uh, frostbite um, until it might have an impact, because there's enough room for you to kind of um, mm. take care of and whatnot. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so whereabouts is the camp? 40 <clears throat> miles, so that puts it about so, like two inches. Yeah, it's <clears throat> right where the, the pin is. Oh, okay. Okay. The uh, the Lexington uh, camp is quite close. Uh, yeah. Have there been any um, uh, intermingle with these people? No, it's it's not close enough that uh, you just kind of stroll over. Can we strap dynamite to penguins and send them over? Yes, yes, you can. <laughs> but our, our planes have flown over each other, each other camps, and uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just understand, I mean, the Lexington ship, wasn't it uh, stuck in the pack ice? I mean, weren't they in a much worse situation than we were? No, they were a long time ago, but they landed a while ago. Like, in, in this session? Landed, so it, just, it just delayed them a bit. Yeah, they've landed and okay. they've overflown the South Pole in this session. Yeah. Okay, but it means that they got stuck in the pack ice, but then they freed themselves and continued, and then they established base camp just like we have. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Are you playing the same game as us, Jens? <laughs> Those assholes. Uh, okay. Uh, at 10.40 a.m. on the morning of November 18th, uh, you're down by the sea camp, and suddenly a great crack opens in the ice not far from the camp, running more than 100 yards inland from the shore with a deep rippling pop. <laughs> Question is whether right. we should... See how many dogs fell in. I'm going to read through this because... Uh, no reason to start playing playing through it. Why start playing now? <laughs> <laughs> when we can just read stories. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I promise this this is the one of the last parts of this and then, then it gets more gritty. Two hours later it lengthens further and two other huge fissures appear, spearing inland from the open sea. One seems aimed directly at the expedition's camp, the others threaten to cut the remaining supplies off from the safety of the runway. The sea ice is breaking up and the expedition is not prepared. A hurried radio message informs the uh, aircraft and barrier camp of the trouble. Uh, that's wrong. <coughs> All available hands are immediately roused to save the precious equipment and fuel. The next several hours are a race against time as the cracks in the ice multiply and move inexorably inward toward the camp. Load after load of food supplies and gasoline drums are dragged inland and stacked by the runway. With each new trip, the explorers pray harder that this will not be the last. The airplanes load and unload and turn around as fast as they can, but the amount of cargo that remains at risk is huge. The Gabrielle steams westward to try and help, but she's too far away and cannot arrive before the next morning. A new fissure opens inland at the seaside cache at 3 o'clock that afternoon, directly in front of one of the racing tractors. The tractor crew must watch in horror as the open water yawns before them and the icy surface uh, tips to one side. Thirty drums of fuel and more than a ton of pemmican slide quietly into the water and are gone. Uh, not the pemmican! Uh, no! no! 
The airlift continues for another three hours, but it's clear that the end is near. The two tractors are attached to short trains of heavy pallets and instructed to head overland toward the barrier along the dockslet trail. All the remaining men and women at the sea camp are ordered to accompany the tractors. There is no way to take them into the plains. In the face of rising winds and oncoming storm clouds, the two aircraft make one more trip and then a second. Shortly after 6 p.m., Larry Longfellow, piloting the Weddell, reports that a fissure has appeared across the runway itself, making it impossible to land. He aborts his flight and returns to the barrier base. The Enderby, preparing for her next flight, does not even leave the ground. The remaining 20 tons of aircraft fuel are abandoned to the sea. Uh-huh. All in all, the breaking of the ice cost the expedition 140 drums of aviation fuel, nearly half of its supplies. It's a bitter blow. The tractor party struggles all night through lowering temperatures and blowing ice. They arrive exhausted but safe shortly before noon the following day. A roughening sea and the increasing shelving of the ice from the barrier forces Captain Reddenberg to give up his rescue plans and withdraw the Gabrielle from shore. November 19th is blustery with falling snow and poor visibility. The aircraft are tied securely within their makeshift shelters. There's barely enough room for the entire expedition in the buildings erected so far, and the, fuel, the loss of the extra fuel casts a pall upon the party, but everyone is safe and sound upon the ice. Despite the losses, the expedition is at last ready to begin its mission of discovery. Uh, there's some things I don't understand. I thought we brought all the things from the temporary camp up to the base camp. But you were, we didn't, apparently. No, you were in the progress of doing it when the ice started cracking, the sea ice. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, it sounds like a lot of 140 drums of gasoline and a whatever. Well, at least we don't even have the pounds needed. So. Yeah, but we, we are also playing down, so I guess uh, we don't need as much fuel. Uh, yeah. And one man is not there because he got arrested, so he's not going to eat any of I mean, his pelican, yeah. that's just yeah. totally. Yeah. He lost his share of pelican. No, no that's one time. No foul, no no harm done. I guess we only also only have half the dogs we set out with. Yep. So, eh, overall yeah. a win. Oh well, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so you're on the camp on the barrier, and um, <clears throat> um, let's see, it's uh, you know it's not luxurious. Um, the quarters are pretty cramped. Uh, there are two wooden huts that are barely large enough for everyone to stand in all together. Um, and most of you live in tents, um, in these small depressions. So they're kind of sheltered from the wind. Dips in a hut. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Tom and a, and a horde of penguins take over one of the huts. Um, the work continues on the dock kennels, the weather shack, the laboratories, uh, the dark room and the hangars for the aeroplanes. And so they're built with walls of ice that you cut out and, and, and stack up. Um, the, the two functioning Boeings, the Weddell and the Enderby and the Little Scott are, are tied down and anchored as well as possible. Uh, and uh, you, uh, David, you and the, the other pilots check them often to be sure they're not damaged by the cold and the wind. Um, when they have to be used, they often have to be warmed up for a period of time before uh, they can actually start. Um, Guides and dog uh, and men uh, work with the sleds and their teams exploring trails, setting flags, uh, even further from the camp, um, so that if anybody gets lost, you can easily find your way back. And the aerial wires for the radio are strung, and the Pabodi drills are assembled and tested. 
uh, for the first time. And I have a map of the barrier camp as well. Cool. Boom. Looks like so. Uh, ah, nice. Thanks, Snow. The plan calls for Pulaski, Fiskerson, a Snowbjorn, uh, to depart the next morning with three sledges on a cash lane journey. Uh, their goal is to lay emergency supplies of food and fuel 250 miles away along the flight path to Lakes Camp in the Miskatonic Mountains. Um, the sledges are prepared and um, the people go to sleep and so forth uh, to, to rest for the coming trip. Of the scientists, only the meteorologists and uh, Sam Winslow, the glaciologist, have a lot to do. Um, uh, the rest are organizing instruments and accustoming themselves to the cold and uh, waiting for the weather to, to clear up a little bit. And um, that is the 19th and you all go to bed. You're, you're tired and your muscles are aching and uh, the, the wind tears at the, uh, at the tents and, uh, and whatnot. But you... You all managed to, to fall asleep. I just hope I'm sharing with some of the cute girls in the expedition. There is only <laughs> one cute girl, and she's not that cute. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> but I'll but take her. As long as he's in my tent, I don't care. Penguins got it. Ah. You know what they say Antarctica turns every five into a ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fact. This is a known fact. Especially after a few weeks and a bottle of red wine. <laughs> Sense trouble rolls. What? Sense trouble. Uh, well, I don't know if Magnus senses it, but I'm sensing trouble right now. <laughs> I don't even. Have you tell me to make a roll. I'm gonna spend two points. Okay, hold on. I am as well. I don't sense nothing. Jens and David, you're, uh, you share uh, a tent. Um, and Spooning for warmth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wake up at uh, about 3 in the morning on November 20th. Um, and at first you're not entirely sure why you're awake. But then you, you hear this uh, low sound of a bell. A bell? Like a bell, a bell. Yeah. Is that is that a signal for an emergency or is something? Is that an alarm? Yeah, I'm going to hear a bell. Are there any bells around? Does anybody have a bell? Who brought a bell? <laughs> Why is there a bell there? Uh, you remember that there's a bell on the radio for emergency broadcasts. Oh, okay. A bell so on it's, the radio. it's like a chime. Yeah. I mean, like it a, it's like a chime sound. <laughs> and that would be coming from where? The radio? Uh, there's an antenna. Is there like a radio hut or something? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'll head for the radio hut. I'll wake, I'll wake. Wait, I wake. I wake. Well, wasn't it me? Wasn't it Magnus? That <laughs> both of you. Both was of you. Yeah. I right. said, the spoon and the spoon. Yeah, yeah. Both. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you hear the bells? What is yes, it? I this? I, I right, think it's, uh, yeah. Let's go check it out. Yep. Yep. Let's go check it out. We're going to check it out. Um, you, you start morning. 
Yeah, you start getting dressed. Um, the sun never sets, so it's just very low on the horizon at about three degrees. Right. Um, and as you as you exit the tent, you can see Starkweather also comes out from his tent and starts jogging uh, across the ice with his uh, his coat is like, open, uh, and, and you can hear the the frozen ground chirping and squeaking underneath his boots uh, as the alarm suddenly goes silent. Um, <clears throat> he heads over to the to the radio uh, hut. And you you follow close by, I assume. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, we run immediately after. Um, you come into the the radio hut, and LaRoche is sitting in there. Um, he's a radio man, uh, flipping switches and, and tuning uh, radio dials. Um, and uh, suddenly a, a a very strong signal comes across the hissing static, uh, and it gets kind of this uh, like signal sound. <laughs> Uh, and then, um, before he, he turns it further, he, suddenly it gets interrupted by uh, a voice. And it, you can hear this man saying, Help! Whoever you love, Tony at once! The club is under attack! This is Tommy Hopewell, come on to Tallahassee! No, can you hear me? Then... Tallahassee. Uh, Tallahassee is the ship of the Lexington expedition, yeah. is that it? Clearly, some guy with a hand in his mouth is talking on the radio. <laughs> it's highly disturbing. <laughs> what right. madness has grown to speak like that? Um, Starkweather is there. Is Starkweather who's there? Is it? Yeah, Starkweather is there. Uh, LaRoche and Starkweather stare at each other and then at the radio, and they're like they're kind of shocked. They're not sure what to do. Uh, and you, you're all kind of standing there, and, and then about 40 seconds later, uh, there's just static on the radio now. 40 seconds later, you hear this faint, hollow rumble, like a thunder rolling across uh, the camp. Like from the uh, distance? Over our camp or in the radio? Uh, over your camp. Over our camp? Well, I step out of the hut and look what's going on. Uh, there's it's there's a haze in the uh, in the air, so it's it's hard to see much. Uh, Starkweather uh, also steps out and, and grabs a pair of binoculars and goes for for high ground uh, and starts scanning the the ridge in the ice uh, to the north where the sound came from. Um, but there's not much to see. Uh, you grab the binoculars. Um, let me check your. I got ten in binoculars. <laughs> what? <laughs> What are, are the conditions right now adequate for flying in? Um, Wind and visibility? That's a good question. It's very hazy. Uh -huh. uh, but potentially, but the planes would have to be warmed up first. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. If the conditions allow for flying, then I'm going to go immediately go grab the flight crews and start preparing yeah. a plane for flight just so if it's an emergency, we're, we're ahead of this curve as much as possible. Yeah. The rest of the camp starts to, to wake up as you as you head out to, to uh, wake them up. Um, Jens, you can see just a very faint glow on the horizon against, like in the haze. It's just like this hazy, yellowish glow. Um, the Tallahassee is under attack. The Tallahassee is the, is the boat. Hostile penguins. How far away is it? Uh, well, the, 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 um, uh, the transmission came from the camp, not the Tallahassee. Oh, but how far? The camp is about, what's it, 40 miles? Just 40 miles, so it's a quick, uh, it's a quick it's flight. No. Yeah, yeah, not too far at all. It'd be a relatively quick flight, but uh, yeah. you'd have to heat the planes up first. Yeah, um, right. 
Uh, okay, I, I run after stock weather. Okay. Um, John around. Hold on, there. there. Yeah, stock weather's there. Stock weather. That's an SOS. We need to come to the rescue. Yes, I think you're right. I, I think this is a good opportunity for us. I think we have a young lady to rescue, in fact. <laughs> ah, he loves her. Mark is my old he friend. He, he pats you on the back. <laughs> Fantastic. Wake the men. Bill, Bill is getting the, the plane ready. Shall we, shall we start a rescue ah, operation? That'll take them hours. Let's get the dogs ready. Aye, aye, Captain. Uh, maybe we shouldn't rush this uh, too much and, and get a little bit uh, larger expedition going. Um, everybody's awake now. Uh, Starkweather uh, goes into the radio tent again, or in the radio hut. Um, and I, I go get help get the dogs ready. Okay. How long does it take dogs to go 40 miles? Isn't that, isn't that like half a day at least? Well, it takes some time anyway. Um, the who's, who's awake now? Tom, you're also awake. What do you do? Uh, well, I assume I have my... Um, um, uh, well, I put on all my... I, <laughs> ah! I was sleeping so well. I was dreaming of penguins. Uh, I'm going to put on all my gear first and foremost. All right. Uh, That's going to take five minutes, I guess. Dr. Altmaier, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're following Starkweather uh, arguing for, for something. Well, I'm just uh, thinking maybe we shouldn't rush this. Ex uh, it wouldn't. Uh, I'm sorry. I think it uh, we should benefit from the fact that we could sit, uh, think this through before we mount a hazardous uh, rescue expedition. I, I misspoke before. It's eight miles, not 40. Oh, eight. Okay. Eight uh, miles. Eight. Ah, that makes more sense. Okay. That's about 13 kilometers. Warm up the doggy treats. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah, in that tell? case, I, I, was, I would go get the airplane ready if it was that close. It was farther away. And I think, uh, yeah, Darkslit pretty much uh, could be there pretty quick, I guess. Yeah, so. Well, okay, it's, it's I'm packing nice. my rifle this time. For the okay. first time ever, I'm packing my rifle. You never know what's out there. Uh, Kristen, you're, you're with uh, Starkweather in the tent, and he's, he's calling the, the, the Tallahassee on the, on the radio. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he says, so, Tallahassee, this is Starkweather. I'm preparing an overland party. It's only eight miles, so we ought to be there shortly. I'm taking food and fuel, medical supplies, but no radio. And then we'll fire off two white flares when we arrive. Do you understand? I tell your captain not to worry. We'll do everything we can. Uh, and then he hangs up and, and rushes out. They're kind of just brushing past you. He doesn't even want to hear it. No, he's going. <laughs> and hold on a second. Uh, how many men do we need for this? How many are left here? Uh, uh, we don't have that many sled dogs, so I guess we'll just take a small party. Uh, we need to bring medical. Well, I know first aid. And, uh, so there's, you have the two sledges that were prepared for the cash, uh, 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 cash lane journey. Um, and they're, the, the camp is awake, and they're... Uh, kind of re restocking them with uh, emergency and medical supplies and so forth. Um, and uh, uh, Starkweather is uh, like announcing his, his plans to the camp 
as, as this is happening more is busy trying to get the equipment ready. Anybody else bring anything in particular? Yeah, I'll bring my loaded handgun. Well, yeah. um, uh, I have medicine yeah. as one of my yeah, skills, so I was wondering uh, um, if that's a benefit in this type of situation. Like medic medical, is that like doctor-ish skills or yes. what is it? Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. it's for, uh, I think both for diagnosing and treating more okay. um, like serious. So I have medicine and uh, a lot of first aid, so I should definitely uh, go. And yeah. I, pa I pack my rifle as a good first aid man. Uh, <laughs> in case you have to shoot something off. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry, the leg will have to be shut off. Yes, you have, you have uh, frostbite, I'm going to shoot it off. <laughs> and just one quick pause here. Like, what's, Are there any logical theories as to what could be attacking the Tallahassee? And it sounds oh, like yeah, explosions. Penguins. Saboteur. Penguins. Oh, oh, it's your dynamite penguins. They arrived. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> um, but we did train for a whole day. And so. you say I'm not prepared. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally changes the entire thing. But okay, let's do this. Penguins blow up the Tallahassee. <laughs> Um, okay, but are there any other expeditions close by? That German exp expedition is nowhere near here, right? We don't know anything about. No, it. they're landed on. Uh, I can give you the coordinates, but it's like a. a it's far away. It's essentially on the other side okay. of the, the continent. Okay, so most likely theory here, most probable scenario is that it's. Uh, they also have a, a saboteur on board. Yeah, I mean nobody. Nobody seems to know what happened, uh, but but everybody is. Everybody seems pretty. Pretty sure that something bad has definitely happened. Uh, but on the radio, we definitely heard uh, gunshots, right? That's that's what it sounded like, yeah. And uh, explosions. Uh, yeah, you you heard a like this rumble, and you saw what what was probably fire on the horizon. Right, and I exactly exactly. Let's go. Yeah. So how many of us can fit per sled? Well, you can you can walk next to it uh, as well. Um, it's necessary because there's only two of them, and they're laden with supplies and and, uh, and drawn. Uh, yeah. So most eight of it, miles, it'll it'll be over by the time we get there. Whatever's going on. Yeah. The as you set out, uh, Starkweather um, Starkweather grows very serious, and and you can see he goes into to you know leader mode, and um, uh, it's you uh, you four Starkweather um, Sykes. Uh, Dr. Green, Palaski, Snowbjorn, um, and then the, the two dog sleds uh, led by 11 dogs each. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, so you set out over the ice uh, in, in... Do we have skis? Yes, we do. Uh, you set out over the ice in the early morning, and uh, some people are more accomplished skiers than others. Um, uh, Green is, is pretty clumsy and, and tires easily, so he ends up soon riding on one of the sleds, you know, for the sake of emergency. Um, and um, what is the... Doo -doo -doo -doo. Can I, I just point out that this is the exact setup for the movie The Thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh... It's a good thing your character didn't watch it yet. Then <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he'd be really freaking out right now. Yeah. Um, 
All right, I'm going to need it. Uh, so anybody who doesn't have Outdoorsman, um, if you have Outdoorsman as a skill, mm -hmm. you don't need to do anything. Mm -hmm. If you only have well, it as a pool, I need a point spend. And if you don't have it at all, I need athletics against, uh, I need an athletics roll. Um, okay. Outdoorsman. Outdoorsman as the skill or the... the yeah, it's the... a technical ability. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you might have the, the pools that you got from the classes on board. Yeah. The then you have yeah. to spend points doing it, right? Yes, you have to spend yeah, one okay. point. So I don't want to do that. Uh, I'll spend two athletic. But you, you can use an you, you can use athletics point. Yeah, I'll, I'll spend one athletics point. That's all I got. Three. No! Uh, and you two have uh, Jens and David. You have at Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, so two, two, two for me, Christian and Tom. I'm gonna have to ask you to roll another d6 to see what kind of damage you do to yourselves. Minus two, minimum minus of one. Minus two. Yeah, minimum of one. Damage from what? This is from from falling and uh, being unable to conduct oneself on skis. Oh, Jesus. Two. Um, so another roll with, should I add extra? No. No, just roll a d6. Six? Four. <laughs> so you set out, uh, this is probably your first time on skis. Um, you should probably spend some more time in the French, uh, ski resorts, Tom. French Alps, yeah. Um, and as you make your way uh, over the ice, which is not, it's not just a straight plane, it's like crumbled and, and messy and has cracks and so forth. Uh, you both at various times end up uh, falling and, and hurting yourselves. Uh, you, Tom, actually almost quite bad. Um, again. Again. Always get hurt trying to save everybody else. Actually, you probably get put up on the other sled and slow, the, slow the party down even Suckers! more. Suckers! <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll fall down again. <laughs> um, it's a hard trip, but an exciting one. The ground rises and falls in great ridges and waves. At a glance, the terrain appears flat and featureless, but that's not the case. Holes and cracks are everywhere, some open to the sky, others hidden beneath, despite veneers of thin ice and snow. The air is bitterly cold, breath crackles at it as it freezes into puffs of white mist. Ryan builds quickly on eyebrows and mustaches, and everyone is soon chilled to the bone. Shifting clouds and occasional drifts of fog change the landscape moment to moment. Objects are distorted by the uneven light and lack of reference, frequently appearing much farther or nearer than they really are. The dogs bark and howl as they drive, eager to be out and on a run. They don't seem to feel the cold. The world is a shades of white and gray with uh, deep pools of blue here and there in the depth of icy seams. All that can be heard is the sound of the dogs, the squeak and hiss of runners on the snow, and the rustle and crunch of one's own boots and clothing. No one seems eager to speak. Olaf Snowbjorn uh, drives the first sledge, Gregor Pulaski the second. Within minutes of departure um, uh, from the camp, Starkweather takes the leads from Pulaski and presses the team on himself with every evidence of glee. His enthusiasm is contagious. The first hour of the trip passes swiftly. Nonetheless, traveling over the barrier is immensely tiring. There are several long stretches, uh, straight stretches of snow where the sleds can move freely, but the land between is uh, abruptly broken and pressed upwards by pressed upwards by the forces beneath. 
Some ridges can only be climbed with ropes. Sledges and even dogs must be pulled or carried up or down slopes they couldn't climb. More than once, the team reaches impassable ground and has to double back for several hundred yards. Every muscle in the investigator's bodies aches before the trip is done. <clears throat> there are no deadly accidents uh, on this trip, um, but you, you know, some of you fare a little bit less well than certain other ones. Um, let's see. It takes you about two hours uh, to cover the eight miles. Um, the last half mile is swift. You follow marker flags set out by the Lexington expedition. Um, but at this point, everyone is pretty weary from the trip. But at last, the base camp comes into view. You can see the Lexington expedition camp is smaller than yours. Um, there's a single long wooden hut uh, centered uh, at the site with a short row of tents spreading out to either side like wings uh, of the side, uh, like the sides of a V. The generator shack and the radio tower sit in the middle of the V while the scarred line of the landing strip is to one side. Uh, it's apparent at once that something has gone very wrong. Do you all see the map? Yes. Yeah. It looks cooler than ours. It is. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm, I'm changing camp. <laughs> the radio. I also have a, I also have a crush on the girls. Um, the what? air is uh, full of a, like a choking tang of smoke and a dark pile of burning fuel. The pale wisps of steam curl up from the suit-covered snow where the wet climate and diligent work of the cleaning crew have dampened the burning flames. The radio mass has fallen and lies crumbled against the ice. The neat cluster of huts and tents is covered by a thin film of ash and the pristine whiteness of snow is marred by gutted remains. On the uh, one end of the hut is blackened and burned where the generator shack once stood. Now there's only the cooling aftermath of a bonfire. Um, by the time that you arrive, um, it's pretty calm, actually. Um, you see people, um, expedition personnel kind of everywhere. Um, some pull uh, salvaged goods out of the smoldering tents. Others clear wreckage from smashed equipment. A little distance away, you see a couple of guys standing by themselves, kind of contemplating um, uh, the, the smoking remains of the radio shed. And, um, excuse me. Um, your, your sled dogs excited bark and snarl at the stench of the scorched canvas and gasoline as you descend the gentle slope toward the camp and um, people start turning and, and looking at you. And you see one man uh, kind of walking towards you and others start following at a distance. And as you, as you come near, um, he, he uh, uh, pulls up his goggles and his mask down and he, he says, uh, Oh, welcome. Uh, well, we heard you were coming. Uh, I'm afraid there's not much for you to do. Uh, Miss Lexington wants to see you in the in the cook shack. Uh, I'm bent. What happened? What happened? Uh, uh, the, Did you say Miss Lexington? Uh, okay. There, there was uh, oh, there's a long story. There was an explosion, uh, and okay. some guys they went a little cuckoo. A little cuckoo. I think what? everybody went a little cuckoo here. Uh, he's Danish. By the way. <laughs> Is anybody injured? Is anybody hurt? Crazy uh, days. Yeah, there's uh, there's some people. Uh, so over, uh, it's it's easier if you if you come come with me and he starts walking you in uh, into the camp. Does anyone need medical attention? Uh, no, I think we have it under control. Besides you, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if not, then uh, I'll take it off. I met, I met that bad guy. Uh, and you can see, uh, you can see Starkweather. He looks pretty deflated. Uh, his his rescue attempt uh, having. Are there anybody so up. wounded they need a bullet to end their misery? I'm up there. I'm wary of this guy. Maybe maybe this is one of the cuckoo ones. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting I'm looking, for any minute look now. Around for German guy will go off the hinges. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking around for any signs of you know. Uh, Injury or other people or uh... yeah, you uh, well so Starkweather uh, kind of uh, growls at you, uh, make yourselves useful, and then he he disappears into the into the oh. the, the hut. Um, what? What what? And you can you can hear uh, from inside the hut um, uh, as the door closes. Uh, suddenly you hear this imbecile woman. I should never have allowed you to. And then, how anyone tolerates your incredible arrogance, you? I've heard about all I can take of your posturing. Don't and then quiet about they posturing your bump uglies. Yeah. <laughs> and they continue like that. Daddy's home. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, there's some some helloing and so forth. The, the Lexington uh, camp members uh, are a little kind of reticent uh, to. Well, we tried to socialize with these fuckers before, and they weren't exactly welcoming. So, uh, <laughs> I wonder if I noticed anyone from that bar back in the day. You probably uh, do. <laughs> who was that? That was uh, Priestley. Was one of them? I forget who the other was. Oh, I go over and I'm like bonsoir, Monsieur. <laughs> we meet again. So um, now you want me to buy you that drink? <laughs> yeah. Let's see. You see. Priestly somewhere. Let me just find him. Uh. Oh, I'm sorry, you were a little late to the party, but uh, we brought we brought uh, snacks. So you don't you don't see uh, you don't see Priestly, the guy you talked to. Um, His face burned off. <laughs> um. You talk. Uh, there's, there's like various other people uh, standing around. Um, let me hold on. Let me get a, a die. Well, I'm just trying to get a feel. No, oh, he took out his headphones. <laughs> I'm just trying to get a feel from the the guys on the the ground whether or not this was sabotage or. Um... Yeah, is everyone like frantic or are they? I mean, like. Well, everybody seems pretty calm now. You, um, you. Calm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been. It's been a like few hours, hours. Yeah. so they, they seem like, okay, now it's like a cleanup job. You, um, Tom, you, you find a guy um, who's uh, talking to Pulaski and Sykes, uh, and, and uh, he's with the sled dog team, um, okay. and uh, he, he looks cool, collected. Um, he, um, uh, you start talking to him, and his, he has like this really thick Finnish accent. Uh, and he explains, uh, well, uh, I was awoken by uh, an explosion in a much more thick Finnish accent than mine, which I don't know how Finnish accents sound. I can't do it. It's terrible. Uksi kaksi kolne. Paperelli, no, yeah. And he, he's, he's like, as you're talking, uh, standing around talking to, to him and the other uh, ex uh, polar team from your, from your camp, uh, he's telling about how uh, the, the Lexington party has been troubled by, um, you know, 
trouble uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> ever since the, the first oh. day. Uh, and how the, so the, it turns out that the, the, uh, the night's, um, uh, explosion was, uh, caused by a pair of vandals, um, who've been caught, uh, and severely whipped like the dog sled. Well, you know, I, I, whenever I appropriate, I, I spit in a couple of our own troubles and, you know, uh, try to create a, a bond here, um, I, I feel like in the end, uh, these two expeditions might need to unite to achieve any kind of goals anyway, so. Yeah, he, he nods a little bit and uh, he's like, oh, that's, I'm sorry to hear that you're, you also had troubles and, and he, he kind of, you know, asked some questions to, to follow up and, and, and hear more. Yeah, I show him the, <clears throat> I would, if it wasn't so fucking cold, but, you know, I have a scar proving, you know, that's when I saved the entire crew from drowning. <laughs> and then this is the one where I saved them from exploding. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's very impressed by your scar. <laughs> yeah, There's a, another guy kind of walks over. You're, you're, you begin to, to gather in a small group. Um, and another guy uh, walks over uh, and, uh, and, and hears your, your discussion and it starts... Uh, uh, chiming in a little bit and, and uh, growls a little bit about like I, I wish we had somebody you know at the helm who was a little bit more you know steady. Uh, it's good that you guys came over and he he kind of sighs. Um, uh, so is he implying that Lexington is she yeah. the expedition leader or is she yeah. like the the money person? She's actually the leader. Yeah, right. Uh, I can imagine uh, at least some of these sailor guys wouldn't be so. Happy with having a woman in charge, but uh, uh, this is the twenties after all, thirties, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, so let, let me just get the straight, the, the story straight. So, two vandals, I presume from their own crew, have sort of gone cuckoo, set shit on fire. It's all exploded, and now everybody's calm again. Yep, yes. that's pretty. That's pretty much it. Okay. And what have they lost? So, they lost the radio, essentially. Yeah, so the the guy standing there with you, uh, he, he introduces himself as Kyle. Um, he said, uh, "We lost uh, food, fuel, uh, spares. I mean, just just look at the place. And nobody was ready for this this accident, and she just didn't plan for it." So, so based on what you've lost now, uh, you're unable to continue the expedition. Or what's what's the circumstance you now find yourself in? I'm not sure. It's it's a little hard to say already, but. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I don't know. So, do you know these guys that went that went crazy and just why do you know why would they hurt themselves by their chance of survival by causing something like that? Um, yeah, I, I mean they've they've been here for for the entire you know the entire time. I don't know what happened. It's it's very odd. Um. um I mean, they're they're in the they're in the the, the tent over there with with Priestley and and uh, Hopewell. Um, uh, one of them, uh, Ronald. Um, I think he's he's still awake. Uh, and then uh, the other guy, Bradbury. Um, I think he's he's passed out. Uh, but yeah, it's very odd. I think we should go question them. So I want to go yeah. question them with me. 
well, yeah, if we can get X. I'm, cu I'm curious if we can get if we can get some information from them to see what their motives are. I wonder if they have the same motives like they're focused on uh, that, that we've seen from the, our saboteurs. Yeah, but we didn't really figure out anything about the motives from our saboteurs. Well, we, we, more... got the, we got the note saying that, you know, not to go back to the... Right, true. That's true, that's true. So Stockwell is still in there with Lexington. Yeah, you can hear them, them shouting uh, obscenities at each other. Okay. Just kiss and make up already. The, um, another guy comes over, uh, and uh, a young, eager guy, uh, his name is Chip. Um, and he's, he's, uh, he seems almost kind of excited about, you know, what, what's happened. And he's like telling you about the gunshots and wild shouting, uh, and how he, he was woken up and, uh, I'm like, uh, if we have like some emergency rations, I'm like sharing it out between the guys a little bit, just, you know, snacks, a little bit of cheese like, as, as we get it, get the stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he's, he's explaining how, uh, Bradbury, who's the cook and Dinsdale, uh, who's a, a pilot, they were running through the compound. They were screaming, they're here. And, and burn them out uh, and shooting into the air and, and setting things on fire. Um, and uh, I mean, we just stumbled from our tents when the generator fuel tank exploded. And uh, by the time we, we, you know, we were able to pick ourselves off the ground again, uh, the, the, the power hut and, and one end of the kitchen were you know, on fire. And uh, like our generators, the generators completely, completely blasted. Um, I mean, they were pretty easy to subdue, and, and uh, now they're they're under guard. But I think they went snow crazy. Yeah, we definitely need to talk to these guys. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see. Um, that. Yeah, he he explains he's uh, he's sure this is going to be a really popular chapter in his personal memoirs that he's going to publish <laughs> when he comes back. <laughs> it's going to be a bestseller when you get back. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, let's. I want to go uh, into yeah, the tent where they're being held. Okay. Um, you, uh, it's, it's a small medical tent. It's like a, a, a flimsy excuse for a brig, uh, that they use it for. Uh, and inside, um, there's a guy sitting, uh, Tom, you recognize him. Uh, it's, it's pretty cramped in there. Uh, it's not that big. So when there's already, um, five, four people in there, and then you guys also file in. So it's, it's pretty... It's pretty cramped. Um, you recognize the guy who's sitting in there on a, on a, a folding stool watching over um, one of the guys who's unconscious and the other guy um, who's got a, a thick blood-soaked bandage on his left cheek. Uh, the guy you recognize, his name is Albert Priestley. He's from the, the bar in New York. All right, all right. I walk oh, in. Yeah, that's the guy, Albert. Are they, are they subdued? Like, are they tied up? Um, <clears throat> yes, I do believe they are. Actually, I, I no. Just so, so the the guy who's out, his name is uh, Bradbury. Um, he's just out, and the other guy, Dinsdale, he's wrapped in blankets. Um, he's obviously got the the blood soaked bandage on his left cheek, and then he's he's sitting there uh, drinking a steaming cup of coffee with his hands kind of trembling slightly. Um, hold on one second. I'm just gonna ask the guy again uh, if they need any uh, medical help. Um. Just as you were entering, uh, Tom, the, the doctor uh, is exiting, um, and he almost doesn't even notice you uh, as you uh, as you ask him. And he's like, I'm, 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 I'll be right back. I'm, I'm getting my, my doctor's bag. 
Uh, I know. I was just I was gonna go to the the guy I know from the bar. Yeah. Okay. Um, ask him. Yeah. So so you talked to uh, uh, Priestley. Um, yeah. So we meet again. Oh yes, I remember you from from the pig and the whistle. Yeah. We just uh, we came back <laughs> to see if you guys needed any assistance in this uh, terrible tragedy. Uh, do you need any medical assistance? Well, I think we more or less have it under control. Uh, uh, Anthony is getting the his doctor's bag. As you can see, Dinsdale here is a little a little knocked up. Um, I pretend to look over his wounds. <laughs> pretend has, to. Has he said anything about why they did this? Um, I, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, he he keeps rambling, and then Dinsdale says. Uh, I, I thought I saw spiders. I saw spiders. I'm sure I saw spiders. I hate spiders. <laughs> I just hate spiders. It's the reason I came to Antarctica is because I, I, there aren't supposed to be any spiders here. He sips oh, his coffee. Where did you see spiders? They were all over the camp. They were crawling around on top of the tents and coming out of the ice. They, and so uh, I was trying to, I was trying to kill them and burn them out. But so I guess these guys are probably not saboteurs. They are, in fact, actually just crazy as fuck. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. What I, did the spiders look like? Oh, there were just these big, nasty, black, oh, nasty spiders. How big were they? About the size of a man's head. Some of them even bigger, you know, really nasty. Do they have big crabs around here or something like that that can be mistaken for? Not that you know of, no. Mm. Yeah, he seems, uh, he's, he trails off again. He seems a little unsure, but, but he, he seems very, uh, does anybody have? Uh, well, I have medicine. There's a... Assess honesty. I have that. You assess that he's honest. Oh, craziness. All right, so he definitely believes he saw big spiders. Yeah. Okay, so maybe Snow Crazy is uh, correct. Wow. And what is his position? He's a cook, is that what you said? Uh, yes, one of them is a cook. I think it's Dinsdale. But this is interesting in the sense that the fact that, because, I mean, our first assessment was that saboteurs, which would... You know, so it's not just our expedition experiencing that, but be would be an interesting lead somehow, right? Because we still don't know if it's this expedition creating the sabotage in our expedition, right? So, so if they had it, we would be on the same playing ground. But if this is just some kind of crazy, then it doesn't really get us any further in that aspect. Yeah. No, but basically this means that, you know, if you can go snow crazy, if that's a thing, then basically we have to be cautious of everything we see because we don't know if people are going snow crazy. God damn it. Yeah. So if we start to see big ass spiders, then no, we're probably crazy. <laughs> Just shoot yeah. yourself before you <laughs> blow up the generator. 
Okay, but the guy, the our saboteur on uh, on board our ship, he didn't show any of these signs, did he? No, no, no. They were saboteurs. These are guys who just. Oh. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really talk to us, but no, he didn't seem like he was wacko, no, no. seeing ghosts. Yeah. Or... No, I just kind of hoped this would be the same scenario, but it's not. Yeah. Is there anything we can do to seem useful in any way, or should we just go back to our sleds? Uh, I mean, you can help. Uh, yeah. to the extent possible um, with the, the camp. We make ourselves useful. As best. I guess the most important thing is we need to know what the impact to them is, right? Can they continue with, based on what yeah. they've lost? It, I mean, yeah. if they've lost their radio, it's kind yeah. of it's a significant... Yeah, yeah they, seem, they seem pretty... You know, right now, it's still, they're still a little shocked by, by the night's event, but they're, they're, def they're definitely starting to talk about you know, the implications of, of this and so forth. Um, you're... Uh, you also get the distinct um, uh, impression that uh, okay, there's some sort of super speedboat thing going on outside. It's like these <laughs> giant, uh, what do they call it, cigar boats or whatever. So if you hear this rumbling in the background. Um, Yell out the window and tell them to be quiet. Shut up! <laughs> um, there's definitely also still... Uh, a lot of paranoia around, uh, in particular, Starkweather, but but your expedition in general. They don't seem particularly trustworthy of you. Some of them are a little bit more so than others, but... Mm. Um, uh, well, the, the guys that kind of express a bad feeling towards the their leader, uh, I could say, ah, maybe we should uh, join forces at some point, you know, I can sneak it in there. Maybe try to yeah. start mm. that idea in the crew. Yeah, I still think we probably have a better chance of uniting, especially based on all our own losses as well. Mm. It seems it just seems a little silly uh, that we have two camps so close to each other, uh, and we all struggle with the same problems. We should really unite. But, yeah, uh, have twice as many problems. That sounds great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else you wanna uh, you wanna investigate? Well, the crazy music for one. <laughs> um, I, I, can, I can go help them check out their airplane and see if their airplane got damaged in the okay. salt. You, um, you come up to the airplane, it's called the Bell, um, and you find two, two guys standing there. Uh, they seem very subdued and, and hostile. The shoulders are kind of hunched against the wind with uh, the, the collars pulled up to their chin. The plane seems fine. Um, they mutter a little bit to each other every now and then, um, and, and they seem to to be guarding the plane against anybody who who approaches it. Um, okay. And as they, as you approach it, they're they're kind of like they seem pretty dismissive. I'll, I'll try to uh, I'll, I'll try to get on their good side. I'll introduce myself. Hi, hi, um, I'm William. I'm the pilot for the Starkweather. Expedition. I, I heard the transmissions that you guys overflew the uh, South Pole. Do you have any people skills you want to use? Did both these uh, vandals, did they both tell the story about spiders or was it just one of them? Uh, the, there's, the one of them is out. He's uh, ah. um, Yeah, he didn't say much. I have reassurance. And I also have flattery. <laughs> All right. Uh, talking to pilots, the flattery is probably more appropriate. <laughs> what a I'm great sure, I'm plane sure you know that. some good uh, <laughs> pilot jokes you can uh, uh. use. <laughs> How um, do you know when there's a pilot in the room? 
He's sure to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, as you you start to kind of, what do you, which one do you use, flattery or? or uh... I'll use flattery. Okay, you you compliment them on their pretty plane. Uh, and they 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 seem a little bit less standoffish, but they're not quite talkative. And they they uh, you know they they just mutter kind of yeah yeah thanks. They only have they only have the one plane with their expedition, right? The, the picture shows they have some kind of like a helicopter. Yep, they have a little um, what's it called? It's like a James Bond helicopter. Um, I forget what it's called. It's like a, a, a single seat little. Early uh, prototype helicopter thing. Okay. And how much do they? They have a lot of fuel. It looks like for the one plane. How much of their fuel did they lose in the fire? Um, some. Uh, I have. There's a rundown of it somewhere. But um, uh, you 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 talk to them a little bit. Uh, the, these two two guys, and then. Um, um, at some point, like they, they start to open up a little bit, and you're explaining about your your troubles and whatnot. Um, and then one of them says, kind of almost out of the blue, um, you know, I was I was on the the deck of of the the Tallahassee, and the other guy's like, oh, don't don't, no no, it's it's okay. And I was I was I was drinking with uh, uh, Biggs. He was one of the sailors. Uh, we had a, a brandy flask. And we weren't talking about anything in particular, and, and suddenly Bix turns to me, and he looks at me, and he looks back at the ocean, and his eyes just kept getting wider. And then he turned those eyes back on me again, and I swear they were going to pop out of his head, and then he just started screaming. He didn't say anything, he was just screaming. And I tried to grab him, but he pushed me off, and then he jumped over the side. He said, damn this thing. He screamed all the way down, looking at me. I didn't do anything. He just started screaming. Wow. You Did you hear that? I, I heard that we went and hear, heard from the mouth of the man himself that went nuts. He was saying that they're running through the camp chasing spiders. He was seeing spiders all over the camp, giant spiders as big as a man's head. Yeah, the other the other guy. Their names are, by the way, uh, Wright and Markland. Um, the other guy, Markland, said, like, "Yeah, that guy's crazy." He's been crazy the whole time. He's been showing signs of just not being all there. No, he went snow crazy. So what do you think you guys are going to do now with having lost the radio? I don't know. Well, Go, hopefully, if, you go, if you're going home, can I come? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully our leaders I'm will work with, out. I've seen penguins. Right I'm good. <laughs> um, uh, hold on. So... Uh, after you've been talking to people, it's been about an hour, uh, and they started totaling the damage and the magnitude of the loss. Um, so they lost their generators, batteries, the the main and the trail radios, uh, a stove, a lot of trail supplies, and a small amount of f uh, fuel. Uh, two men were wounded, um, not seriously though. A number of tents were ruined. Uh, and a bit over one fifth of the food, as well as various uh, instrumentation and, and uh, spare parts for the auto gyro. It's called an auto gyro. Okay. Um, 
the aircraft is fine, but there's no power for the camp. Um, and the destruction of the radios means that it's not going to be possible to stay in contact with the ship once the aircraft flies uh, inward. So it's, it's pretty, it's a bitter blow. Yeah, you hear uh, coming from the, the hut, uh, Viper! Buffoon! Harridan! Incompetent! Hold your tongue, woman, or so help me, I shall take you over my knee! Um, oh, ooh, oh yeah! You see Starkweather uh, throwing the door open. Emotional woman, no damn place in the Antarctic! And then he storms across uh, to, to gather I up guess the, I guess we're going home. The team. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, we're going back! Um, and all of you start to, to kind of gather up your things and so forth, say goodbyes. Mm -hmm. Um, and unless anybody else has anything you want to, you want to do before. So they can still continue without their generators. The generators aren't, aren't required no. for like life. No, they're, they're, in a, it's, it's, they could, it's pretty hard. Uh, they're in a hard spot. Um, you saddle up and, and start your, your trip back. Stark weather is pretty quiet for about an hour or so. Um, the eight miles trip is pretty uneventful. Um, uh, give me some skiing rolls. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, diggity. Is that uh, athletics? Or is that mm, yes, but you could also uh, spend on outdoors outdoorsmen. I'm gonna do two points. Skiing. I want to do athletics. Uh, what's going? It's like it's the same. It's like I press once and it rolls twice. Yeah, there's something weird going on. It's only for you. Huh. Um, but I rolled the first dice is eight, so I'd like to keep that one. Yeah. Uh, great. Okay. Uh, David. Oh, okay. I have outdoorsman, but do I, I need to roll? You can you can spend the points. Uh, oh, you can spend. Oh. oh, wait a minute. Is that true, or was it? How was it? Uh, I thought you said if we had outdoorsman, we didn't need to roll. If we have natural outdoorsmen. Yeah, like, I uh, forget what it was. Outdoorsmen, you know that's true. If you have outdoorsmen, you don't have to roll. As you come back to your camp, um, everything seems absurdly normal. Uh, the dogs are disconnected and fed away, rested. Uh, Starkweather kind of disappears into his cabin. Um, Moore comes out and starts questioning you about what, what you saw and heard and so forth. Maybe we should put the bug in, in the more sensible... Moore's ear about it, may, it would make more sense, I guess, since both of our expeditions have suffered losses and we've lost supplies. That maybe it's more advantageous to talk about combining efforts. It's cooperating would yield more results than competing. I would think. Maybe you're right. He says uh, it does look. We're both at a disadvantage here. We could definitely use the fuel. That's for sure. I'm not sure Starkweather would would be too yeah, happy about he's it. Been, he's probably, from what I saw, he's not very open to the idea. Over the following day, uh, Moore spends most of his time on the radio. Um, the, the next afternoon, Sykes and, and Green uh, come back from the other camp. They, was, they stayed there to, to lend medical aid. Um, uh -huh. And they bring uh, both Priestley and uh, Lexington. Uh -huh. uh, and Starkweather and, and Moore and, and uh, Lexington disappear into to the hut and, and uh, seemingly begin negotiations uh and while they're in there priestly starts pitching a tent uh, to the to one side of your camp unless so does it say antenna mast or antenna mart 
And Tenant Mark yeah. is where we get all our tax freeze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody here tax buying antennas? Yes. <laughs> right. uh, so unless you have anything further to do, I mean, you're you're going over whatever you normally go over on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, Polishing my rifle. <laughs> drinking the wine. Was well, that what you <laughs> call it? Talking to penguins. <laughs> <laughs> a touche, I think it's called in French. Uh, write letters home, homebound. I don't know. Is it even possible to send letters at this point? I guess not. Not really, no. I mean, you, there's a radio, so the way it works is you have the antenna here at the camp, and that can that but broadcast. But I assume that's only like emergency broadcast. Stuff. No, 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 no. It broadcasts to the ship. There's daily uh, broadcasts back to the world uh, okay. from Starkweather. Um, and so but it can, we can use it to send personal messages. Oh yeah, well, no, yeah, you can't send personal messages. No, that's what I suppose. <laughs> I mean, you can, but they're not going to be personal. No, but you know, or at least private. It's like oh, I'm not going to say, "Oh, I wish you were here." I would take <laughs> yeah. off your. Oh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fit for the 1930s airwaves. No, and and it's kind of uh, anticlimactic over Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'll take yeah. off your bra. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. More sexting. Ooh, sexy. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> oh, prototype sexting. Hmm? It takes a long time to send a dick pic over more <laughs> <laughs> Even an ask you But if it's possible, it's going to be somebody. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that reminds me. So, two things. Uh, my. Um, Remember, I talked about my, my grandfather had crossed the uh, the, Antarctica, the equator. Mm -hmm. So he he passed away uh, about a week and a half ago, unfortunately. Oh. But oh. but it reminded me that he my mom uh, found his certificate for crossing the, the line. Uh, she's uh -huh. sending that to me. So so it's kind oh, of funny. Awesome. The other thing no, though he, is uh, he did it as part of the military, or the, he was in yeah the he Navy? was in he, I think he was in the Navy um, uh -huh. way back way back when. Uh, the other thing, though, was um, it reminded me just what you said because he, so he's who introduced me to he introduced me to computers and uh, back before modems and so forth, he had uh, like a radio that you hook up to the computer and you can send pictures over the radio waves. So you had wow. so essentially you could communicate with other people that had the same radio and send things, but it was all like broadcasting. There was no like yeah. it wasn't like a peer to peer thing. So uh, they would they would send pictures and stuff like that over the radio waves, and you could tune in to certain porn? channels, was and like porn? the prompt sure some of it was porn, uh, <laughs> but it was just like this super primitive technology of uh, of like using awesome. uh, you know radio to to send digital messages. It was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, well, that, that's really amazing. And, and, and yeah. so like they they would tie it into like a shortwave radio, so you could they could have extreme range with it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so cool. you could you could like uh, communicate with people you know in, in yeah. other countries. I mean, even in this modern day, there's that technology still has a significant use. Like on the aircraft I, I fly on the AWACS, even though we have modern satellite communications and digital data links, one of the one of the tools we use all the time that's just incredible is HF radios that we tune them so that we can bounce them off the atmosphere hmm. when we don't have dedicated satellite time, and we'll we'll. Will uh, radio a military base that's around the world, and then when they pick it up, they tie us in through their system to a landline phone, and then we can dial a phone number, and then we can basically call anywhere in the world. So, so, so those old radios still work. Fantastic. There was this story going around uh, recently. Some guy had uh, using also like 
home built radio to and he managed to communicate with the ISS. Uh huh. Wow. Yes. 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 Yeah. Still do that shortwave because yeah, they they have the radios on ISS, and when they have time, they just talk to all the amateur radio guys. Wow. That's pretty cool. Oh, that ISS. I was thinking about ISIS. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. That's not so cool. <laughs> They're sitting in the Toyota with their little radio. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right. So the brand new Toyota. Over the next uh, forty-eight hours, um, the negotiations kind of go back and forth, uh, and you you kind of more comes out every once in a while and looks tired, but uh, <laughs> but like assures you that progress is being made and uh, and so forth. Um, and eventually, um, it's it's announced that uh, the Lexington and Stark Weathermore expeditions are are to join forces, uh, and her plane okay. can report, can replace the Shackleton, the one that that you lost. I um, see it all. It all works out perfectly. It's like we're feel, like yeah. two puzzle pieces coming together. Are there, are there any cute girls apart from Lexington in the other camp? No. So I have to go for Lexington. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> there you go. Aim high. <laughs> Well, have you seen a photo? I have to get rid of Stark with her. Well, seeing as she's played by Ingrid Bergman, it would not be a bad catch. Yeah. It wouldn't. It yeah. totally wouldn't. So I just need to she's have a ten. Yeah, I just need to disappear Stark with her because I feel like she's not going to be willing to do anything while he's there. Disappear him. <laughs> <laughs> um. So um, let's see. Yeah, so the the deal is essentially that you're they're gonna uh, merge, you know, and offer food and radio power and, and, and all this kind of thing, and then and in, in exchange they they ex, uh, exchange uh, stores and equipment and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> so it's like a full merge or just partly? Yeah, it's like it's like Survivor. Drop your buffs. Tribes are merging. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a partial merger in the sense that they remain at their own camp uh, so far. Uh, equipment is exchanged, and there's a, a deal of cooperation going forward. Uh, they're going to stay eight miles away from us. Yeah, because there's they would have to move uh, the stuff that they do have, which uh, is, is a lot of work. They might do that over the over the coming period. Um, I guess if we still experience sabotage beyond this point, it's definitely not motivated by their camp. Well, it depends on what it hits. Um, neither of them seem particularly happy about it. Um, but um, such such and it who's is. Who's gonna get the credit in the end? Me. Is this a shared? This is truly a shared. No, no, tradition? it's just me. Just me. Uh, well, as it <laughs> as it stands, because the the expeditions haven't been merged as such, uh, it's it's shared with you know help being given. <clears throat> but uh, there. Special thanks to the. But their history, uh, given their history, uh, it's it's probably still going to be a, a fairly contentious uh, issue. Yeah. Well, this is just the beginning because um, yeah, soon we'll have even less shit, and we'll have to merge even more. Okay, so are the camps merging as well? No, they're staying eight miles away in their location. Yeah. But with, without a radio and a generator, that's that's pretty far away for. Yeah, but if in Lexington. Ever needs a place to sleep? There's room in my tent. You've got you keep a, a spot for her. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying. All right. The bargain is struck. November twenty second. <laughs> Moving on. The next day uh, is Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Whee! Day. Sorry. Yeah. Um, 
And so all the Americans uh, in the camp gather for an impromptu feast and everyone's inviting, uh, invited, including the Lexington party. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Priestley and Lexington uh, return to their own camp with uh, Sykes and a sledge, uh, sled uh, filled with uh, electrical gear later that evening. Over time, they, they, they do strike a bargain, actually, to merge the camps uh, to, to prepare for the next step. Uh, which is a trip into the foothills of the mountains. Um, still waiting for the weather to clear. Um, and so as, as that, uh, over the next four days or so, um, men and supplies begin to stream uh, back and forth between the two camps uh, using sleds and the tractors. Um, on the November 27th, the clouds lift. Uh, and Dr. Albemale, who's your meteorologist, announces a good forecast for the next 24 hours, and suddenly the scramble uh, is on. Um, the question is whether we should stop here or continue. Maybe it's better to stop when we don't have the doctor with us. But let me let me run out the last part of this chapter. It's chapter. Uh, it's pretty pretty close. Um, let's see. So in uh, in the last so you're preparing for the for the the flight to the foothills of the uh, the Miskatonic Mountains uh, in search of Lakes Camp and uh, at the last minute Starkweather announces that um, <clears throat> he won't be joining you on on this flight he's going to take Dewitt in Houston and fly him to the top of the Beardmore Glacier in the Enderby uh, along with uh, Fiskerson and Gunnar Sorensen and a team of dogs. Uh, and he's, uh, you, can, you can hear him bartering with Moore, like he has no interest in, in this detective work that Moore is throwing himself into. Uh, instead, he prefers to climb some hills and take some photographs with the dogs. Um, and he says, uh, you can reach me by radio when you are ready to push on. Uh, I'm sure you'll make your names in science and so forth, but the newspaper wants stronger stuff for the front page in Man Against the Elements, sweeping uncharted vistas, the bang of huskies, the ring of sled runners on the ice. Uh, that's what catches their fancy. I'll be along. Never fear. In a few days, I'll catch up to you, and we'll all climb those mountains together. Eh? What do you say? Uh, and he readies his flight for 8 a.m. on the 27th. The aircraft, um, let's see, uh, the aircraft returns four hours later without incident, uh, having dropped the three men and their gear off atop the polar plateau. And at 1 o'clock that afternoon, the two Starkweather Moore Boeings are fully loaded and ready to fly. Okay. The first flight to the mountains consists of Professor Moore, you guys, uh, Michael Adul, he's an engineer. Um, you guys and Professor Moore are in the Weddell, and Michael Adul with the first pieces of the Peabody drill are in the Enderby. Um, let's see. And then later, later flights are going to bring more of the equipment. The, the uh, Peabody drill is spread out over three different flights. Um, at 1.15 p.m. on November 27th, after a final radio consultation with Acacia Lexington, the Enderby and the Weddell rise from the ice. After a mid-air rendezvous with the Lexington's Bell, the combined expeditions turn together towards the southwest, towards the Miskatonic Mountains and Lake's mysterious camp. <laughs> End of chapter 7.